Hi, I'm Sarah Aviva, and you may have seen me on episodes and TV shows such as Lucifer, iZombie, Supernatural, Unreal, Ice, Aftermath, dot, dot, dot. You can see it all on IMDb. And you are listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod. I am Chris McCrell. Having claimed this podcast as legitimate salvage, my trusty crew and I are going to delve into the Expanse season three. First joining me is a trusty first officer who will listen to my ramblings despite the fact I'm hallucinating and talking to myself in the corner. It's Kat. Hello, Kat. Hello. And in fact, I probably will put you in your place more than once. <laughs> as, as a trusty the first officer should do, yes. As, as you should. Pull, pull me up uh, whenever. You know, I'm not very good at this. I, I was never meant to be captain. It just happened by accident. <laughs> also joining us is the man who steers our podcast ship back on track and plots a course away from anomalous introductions. It's Aaron. Oh, yeah, belt hello there. <laughs> ah, nice. Oh, nice, belt hello nice. That's okay. <laughs> How are you both doing? Good. Very good. Very, um, just, I've been in an expanse mood, like, all month. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> everything, everything about this season has me just reeling. Um, so yeah, very good. I'm doing okay. I've been told how much of a fan cat is, though, so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I, I fear what paths our ship is going to tread here. But oh, I mean. Oh, we're not going to have a mutiny, are we? No, we're not. But it just depends exactly how much of a fan. Ooh. We'll see. We'll okay. see. We'll find out. We'll definitely find out. Me, meanwhile, I'm just hallucinating. I've spent uh, a week at the Edinburgh Festival, so at this point I'm pretty much seeing anything. And I can't quite tell what's a hallucination and what's real, because the two kind of blend very well together during the Fringe. So it's uh, it's very weird. You sort of see... Someone uh, dressed up in only wearing only blue paint, uh, running around the streets, and you don't quite know if you're dreaming, hallucinating, or you know if you've just had a very weird coffee. So I mean, uh, it's probably a protomolecule person. <laughs> it could be. It could be first sighting of the protomolecules at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. No one notices, and they only give it two stars. It's, oh uh, it's one of them. <laughs> there is a uh, show for everything now. So <laughs> It'll be next year. It'll be Proto Molecule, the musical. Uh, uh, you know, let's let's put money on it now. And if it isn't going to be a thing, I think we could make it. So you know, we can we'll make see. it a thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. As always, before we dive into our feature for this episode, it is time for us to say what we are kneeling before and rising against. Who wants to go first with the rising against? I'll go. It's a controversial one. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> and, well, since I'm not, I wasn't available uh, to record for the podcast episode we did on it. Um, I'm going to chime in and say I'm rising against Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh. Um, I, uh, I hated it so much. 
Um, I haven't felt this like affronted by a Marvel movie since Iron Man 2, um, which again is, a, I suppose, a controversial opinion. But yeah, I just left the, the movie theater just shaking my head. Um, <laughs> not a good time. Yeah, I mean, I I didn't come out having sort of negative feelings about it, but I I wasn't sort of jumping for joy like I was when I came out the first Ant-Man. I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was something really different and really fun and a bit exciting. uh, But this one, it just sort of kind of played the same beats a little bit. It's still a fun watch, I think. I'm I'm not as far against it as you, but I I think it's not... Yeah, it's not as different as the ones before. It's kind of one of those ones that's sitting in a grey area for me. Very, very near. Um, I, th- I think the biggest problem I had with it was that, like, it, the plot felt very murky and, like, it was just mired in, like, science jargon that means absolutely nothing. And they just kept coming up with more of it. And so at some point I started tuning it out. It's like, I, I just don't care what you're saying. I really don't. It doesn't seem like you're caring about what you're saying. So that's nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. How about yourself, Aaron? Have you had a chance to watch it yet? Well, do you know, I haven't... Um, I must be the only person on the planet who's not even seen Infinity War yet, so... Um, oh, how has that behind. happened? <laughs> um, and I, I think I've been told I can watch Ant-Man and the Wasp without spoiling Infinity War, as long as I leave before the end credits, but I, it, didn't, it doesn't seem important. When I catch up, it'll be Infinity War first, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely I watch Infinity War first, just for quality reasons, actually, mm-hmm. rather than yeah, anything well. else. I don't think Ant Man and the Wasp isn't going to spoil plot for you, but um, but yeah, I would I would watch that one first. So I've got I've got a bit of a dubious rise against that Craig wouldn't let me have, but he's not here, so this depends entirely on your acceptance. But <laughs> I want to I want to revisit The Handmaid's Tale season two, um, because I think it. I I liked it even less now I've gotten through all the way to the end to watch the last episode this morning and yeah I, I really did not get much out of this second series at all um, in saying why I think well firstly on the most important stuff I honestly don't believe that they managed to say anything that Margaret Atwood didn't say in series one and themselves in series one as well um they went down a purely emotive route, and I think they did do that well. I think there's the 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 direction of of the emotions on the scene they do present you with enough to get upset about, but in terms of linking it together with a coherent plot that was uh, self consistent, even I, I don't I don't think that happened at all. So I'm going to give it. I, would, I think if if you if you wanted to watch the the emotions of it alone, I think you will you will not agree with me. But I, because I've been sort of trying to analyze it and look for the message, which is what I feel obviously we were getting with season one, it was definitely a message piece that it it didn't follow up with that. So what I was looking for was definitely not there. Now, unfortunately, this is a program I haven't watched yet. So I, I I can't comment, um, but uh, Kat, have you watched The Handmaid's Tale? I haven't. Um, I have a confession to make. So for years, so The Handmaid's Tale has been, you know, on my to-read list for absolute ages. 
Um, and since the show has come out, you know, like it's it's jumped up my list, but I I it get like the very concept of it gives me anxiety. Um, and as a woman in the, these dangerous times where you know we are revisiting concepts and rights and freedoms that we have one that you know like it, it's very much the message of don't take your your the, the progress we've made for granted because it could all just like go right back um and i don't know i don't know that i want to watch it because the world sucks enough already you know what i mean um so i haven't seen it yet um and at some point i mean i'm planning to but I don't know when that will happen. I don't know when I'll feel like it's the right time. So question mark. Yeah, I'm a bit. I'm a bit like you. I've I've got it sort of on the, on the to watch list. I was chatting mm. um, off the podcast earlier on about how many things are sitting on my to watch list. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a bit too much, but I'll get there. I mean, once I retire in sort of uh, 2072 or whenever I'm allowed to retire, I'll, I'll finally get around to watching all these shows, I think. That'll be my, that'll be my chance. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I am rising against this episode. Changes to the Oscars to include a category for popular film. Here, here. Yeah, my, my my rise against it is mainly because I'm kind of sitting there thinking, well, how come popular films are not allowed to win Oscars? When was yeah. that a rule? Why do mm-hmm. we need a category now that yeah. says, okay, popular films, sorry, you can't win a main Oscar, you've got your own little category in the corner, and you'd be happy with that. That's my two cents worth. Well, I think it's such a desperate attempt for the Oscars to get more views, and they, if they're not getting any, then arguably they don't deserve any you know you have to be providing something people want and if you're not it's time to move on but it's they, they're not going to let go with that they've got too much money to make so they have to get all the people watching other films to come and watch them it's it, it's a bit it is a bit desperate as well i think yeah i mean it, i think the argument could be made that like i mean i, I first of all like i don't see why um for, for viewership's sake like changing something that has been sort of like established for more than 80 years now. Um, I, do, I don't see the point of, of adding categories like that that don't necessarily reflect um, sort of improvements that have been made in the world of cinema. Why not add a category for best stunt performance or best mm. motion capture or best, you know, like, like something like that, which reflect sort of changes within the industry and where it's going and where it's headed. Because the popular film thing is, as exactly you say, Chris, just l- let's let's give them, a, you know, the, the morsels, the scraps from the table, because the main Oscar is not for them. I have felt such resentment for that alone. The fact that, you know, no superhero movie, no big sort of blockbuster is ever deemed um, worthy enough of a best picture like they're somehow lesser and it's the same kind of snobbery that exists in the literature world you know like if it's if it's genre if it's speculative if it's science fiction or fantasy then it has no sort of like merit within literature mm. it is only seen within its genre whether it has merit within there you know and i hate that i absolutely hate it um and i hate it within film and i hate it in in literature i think it's absolutely a rubbish way to view these art forms and these beautiful pieces of work that are not recognized for what they are. So, you know, 
yes, completely yeah. agree with you. Rising against that. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I mean, it's just from my, my thing. It's like, can you not enjoy both? It seems to be that it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you can either enjoy something that's very, very arty and subtle, or you can enjoy blockbusters, mm-hmm. and you're not allowed to enjoy both. And, you know, it's like if you're sort of out of touch with what the public are enjoying, then what's to, you know, I don't know. It's like you've got to kind of involve both sides of the world, but I don't think this um, award is the way to do it. That's my uh, sort of little bit. But uh, ending on a more cheery note, what are you kneeling before this episode, Kat? I am going to kneel before the Wreck-It Ralph trailer and the Disney princesses. Um, I love that. I cannot wait. Um, it's, it's just got me pumped, um, for this movie. Um, I just love sort of seeing meta humor, um, done well. And it's, it's a very interesting sort of like look at, uh, a company that now owns everything. Um, I, you know, that's that's a different entire conversation to be had. But um, <laughs> like, it's interesting to me that Disney is kind of poking fun at itself for owning everything, um, or perhaps bragging. It could be said um, <laughs> either either way. Um, it's it's it looks really funny. It looks like the film's going to be great, and I've I've done really well with avoiding trailers so far this year. Um, I've tried to kind of stay trailer-free as far as I can, um, but someone did show me this, and I have to say it's probably the best thing I've seen all week. So <laughs> that's that's my that's my meal before this week. It, it, you know what? It's one of those ones that the the more I see sort of trailers for this Wreck-It Ralph film, I'm like, you know what? They're doing so well with just pulling things in in a way that. Um, I suppose the Lego movie did as well, where they were able mm-hmm. to somehow get the rights for so many different things pulled in, and they just had a, a blast with getting all these different characters to interact and sort of take the mickey out of them. Uh, have you seen the trailer yet, Aaron? I feel bad about this kind of repeat that I'm going to be giving throughout this, where I've not even seen Wreck-It Ralph the first one. So. <laughs> oh, it's okay. So I haven't seen the trailer, i give you that, No. <laughs> Well, it looks very good. You can you can check it out after we finish recording the podcast. If we oh, hear a five minute gap from you later on, we'll know what you're doing. I just <laughs> uh, while while you're not watching the Wreck It Ralph trailer, what are you kneeling before this uh, episode? So I'm kneeling before something else. I'm also not watching, uh, which is quite amusing. But uh, there's, in fact, I'm really late to the game on something here. I'm, I want to bring up the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, um, mm. really because sparked a thought process in my head and that that's kind of what I was enjoying rather than actually having been involved in any of this because my connection to this this story set is really only Sabrina the Teenage Witch which I used to watch as a kid um, and I, I don't know if this this new series is going I assume it's also for teens as well so I'm assuming it's not going to be something I'm going to be watching but the thing that really got my attention with it was, do you, do you guys know Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Yeah, I remember the TV show from when I was younger. Yeah, and yeah, how it's same. it's it's really sweet and nice, and and good things happen and teenage problems come up, but only in such a way as they get immediately defeated by the end of the episode. So mm-hmm. it's you know it, it's really I mean it's not I'm not saying it's bad, but it, it, you know it's quite it's really nice and wholesome uh, as a show, you know. Um, 
whereas the chilling adventures of Sabrina is is sort of the opposite. And I, I had to read around it because I didn't know where it came from. They both come from other source material. The, the, the younger Sabrina has a sort of a nicer early childhood, but then when she becomes a teenager, they did another set of comic books about her as a teenager having to deal with devil-worshipping aunts and really serious choices that come with the you know teenage problems. And I don't think they shied away from the nastier side of life at all. And supposedly, from what I'm reading about this, this new series, The Chilling Adventures, is going to follow that darker side. You know, the aunts are actually devil worshippers. You are being raised to be a bride of Satan. And, it, you know, it's, it's definitely completely the opposite of the show that I remember when I was a kid. And the, the reason that really struck in my head is because I'm seeing so much argument a moment ar- at the moment around the internet of you can't do that because the original character was like this. Mm-hmm. And it drives me up the wall to hear that argument. You know, we cannot have a, a superhero this way because the original superhero was supposed to represent something completely different. And I always want to say, well, wh- why not? Why, you know, have it, if, you, if you're really upset about being in that universe... It, surely it can be alt-universe. It can be a different universe to what you've been previously looking at. If it's an investigation, something interesting, surely it should be okay. And I like the way that I think this show is going to sidestep that by any time someone says, this new show is nothing like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, how dare they do this, bring in devil worship here. And they're going to say, well, actually, both already exist in previous source material. You lose, get out. And that just makes me feel happy, I think. I don't know why I like that, but maybe I'm just evil. Yeah, I don't know if the original show would play as well now, if they were just to put it out. I don't know if it still airs, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch or anything like that. But th- this one does sound interesting. It sounds sort of darker and a bit different. It's written by a guy that's written for Marvel Comics as well. He wrote right. uh, Riverdale, um, yes. which is up on, I think it's on Netflix in the UK, if I got that right. Can't remember. Um, but yeah, so it sounds, uh, yeah, definitely sounds interesting. Cat. Yeah, I've... Um I have to say, you know, I've not really been paying attention to, like, the Riverdale sort of side of things. Um, it's it's not really my cup of tea. I was never really into Archie, etc. So I'm like, eh, that's fine. Um, but this stuff, I'm kind of really interested in. Um, like you say, like, I... I'm of the opinion that, like, if you're not gonna bring something new to an adaptation, then why do it? Um, so, you know, if you're just gonna make the same story again what's the point? It's already been made. Um, so unless you have something truly fresh to bring, it's just better off staying how it is. Um, so in that respect, you know, taking a different approach to Sabrina, a slightly darker approach, um, a, a, a slightly more, you know, sort of like co- conflicted and like, yeah, like maybe evil, like why not? Like I'd, I'd be really interested to see that. I think that's quite fun. Um, hopefully it's standalone because I'd rather not have to sit through Riverdale to make sense of this. Um, but yeah, I'm mm. quite I'm quite keen. That's the thing; you don't want it to be tied up into too much other stuff because, like you say, you've then got to sit there and watch everything else to try and make in gags and uh, and yeah. backstories make sense. So yeah, just swerving that would be good. I mean, the thing is, so often they do remakes of things now, and it's like, oh well, they've got smartphones this time, so there you go. That's a thing. They'll they'll FaceTime each other occasionally for a joke. <laughs> it's okay. 
Um, but yeah, it's. I think it sounds good. I, I'm, I'm with that one. I, I agree with you. So uh, well done there. Um, I am kneeling before uh, Batwoman being added to the CW lineup of mm. shows. Um, I know that I can be critical of several of the CW shows when they're out, but this sounds interesting. It sounds a little bit different. I know I've said that tons of times before and I've been caught out, but hell, I'll kneel before it for the, for this time. It sounds interesting. So it's the uh, Kate Kane version of Batwoman that we're getting on the CW. Speaking as someone who's dropped all DC shows now, <laughs> I think. Um, well, certainly in that universe, if uh, not Black Lightning, I guess, but... I, I I'm back intrigued by uh by this new character. I don't know where they're going to go with it because I have this feeling that the arrow's already done all of the Batman storylines, not in terms of the characters, not in terms of, of of the you know, the specific source material, but in terms of all the emotional plots and all of the emotional development and all of the moving mm. from a, a uh, street Crusader through some darker choices to see if they want to stay on the right side of the law or not. I, I, I don't know what there is. I have this, I have this fear that well, there must be something, but I can't put. The problem is I can't put my hand on what it's going to be. I, I do, I, I am awakened by this. I am interested by this, but I can't tell you why at the moment. I think I'm just riding purely on the name alone, and I don't think that's good enough. Mm, it, is, it is one of those. I mean, you sort of hope that if they're putting the name out there and if they're going, right, we're going to do a Batwoman TV show, that they're like, we've got an angle for this. Don't worry. We've got something that we're going to do. But a lot of the time I worry that they've got a season one of something. They don't quite have an idea of what the next four seasons after that that inevitably happen are going to contain. I um, haven't really watched any of the DC shows. Um, I have no interest in them. So... Sorry, um, okay. I'm yeah. I'm definitely of the like. If it sounds cool, I'll watch it type thing. I tried the Flash, found it boring. Um, I I think I caught an episode of like Green Arrow at some point. Obviously, you know, I th- I think it wasn't the pilot, so it was like completely out of context. So. I don't know. Like, I just haven't had um, enough interest in order to start watching any of these. That being said, if this Batwoman one is good, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but yeah, I have to say I'm not in the um, in the fandom at the minute. That's okay. That's okay. Sometimes it can be regarded that I'm not in the fandom, and I sit here and podcast about it for about half the year, so it's uh, it's fine. Um, okay, well, I suppose now that we have Neil before and Rised against, it is time for us to go on to this week's feature. This week, we are, or this week, this episode, uh, we are chatting about The Expanse Season 3, uh, which I've been looking forward to chatting to people about, because I don't know many people that watch The Expanse, despite the fact it's so popular. I don't really have anyone in my, in my friend group that I can chat to. And now I get to do it on the podcast instead. So I'm so happy. Um, so, uh, Kat, what's been your experience of The Expanse so far? So have you read the books or have you just been watching the TV show? Tell me. So I started off watching the TV show. Um, I watched the first two seasons before I started reading the books. Um, and that's generally my approach to everything is watch the thing first. And if you like it, then read the source material, because then um, that avoids me getting upset about changes they make and stuff, because um, I get very attached. Um, but I don't think that any of the changes that they've made are particularly like egregious or bad. 
Um, it's actually like it's it's one of my favorite things about the show is how different certain people are and how um, like little things that have been changed for the show, like give it more cinematic oomph, which in the book, like there can be some really long, like quiet, prolonged scenes. Whereas in the show, it's all just like, go, go, go. Like it's all quite rapid fire and action based, um, which is really nice. It makes for really good television in my opinion. Um, I haven't read, I think I've only read the first book so far. So I'm just kind of like trying to stagger them so that I don't go like too far ahead of the show because I quite like staying behind it. Um, but yeah, so, so, so that's, that has been sort of my foray was, um, when, when the show won the Hugo, um, that's when me and my friend Athena, we started like watching it again and like, you know, sort of paying attention to it and we got really into it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my, my relationship with the show. How about you? See, you had you had a little bit of control, and you read the first book, and you went, "Do you know what that'll do just now?" And then I watched the TV show. I, yes, on the other hand, yes. I, on the other hand, got to the first book and finished it in rapid fashion, and then quickly <laughs> devoured what was remaining, <laughs> and got all the way to the end, all the way up to the recent books. Uh, so yeah, I've I've went through all of the books. Uh, okay. And I'm enjoying the TV show uh, nonetheless. Like you say, they've made changes, uh, not massive sweeping ones, or some characters that have been merged together. But it doesn't destroy my enjoyment of the TV show too much, mm. I wouldn't say. I mean, there's little bits and pieces. I am going to stick 100% to the TV show for this podcast. Don't worry, there's going to be yeah. no spoilers or whatever dropped. I'm just going to sort of mute my mic to everyone else and shout them at uh, Aaron and Kat in the meantime. Uh, and it will be edited from the podcast, so it's no problem. Uh, how about you, Aaron? I I started on the TV series... I think after originally avoiding it, was was this the show that was advertised as it was going to be Game of Thrones in space? Possibly. Yes, yes yeah. it was. Yeah. I think it was. And therefore I thought, I am not watching that. I have no interest yeah. in that whatsoever. <laughs> and then completely separately to that, maybe months later when it was actually out and it was on and I stumbled across it and thought, oh, this show looks pretty good. I'll keep watching this. And then only did I link the two of them together. <laughs> And now for the life of me, well, no, I do know where it came from because I've seen all the hype about Amazon buying it up and now they're going to do, they're going to do more sex, more violence. They're going to bring it back to what they've said is what the show wanted to be. So it is going to become Game of Thrones in space, I think. <laughs> but I've actually enjoyed it for it not being that. Um, and I've not read the, well, no, that's not true. I've read the first book and stopped there. As I understand it, the first book takes you about three quarters of the way through the first. Sorry, the first series takes you about three quarters of the way through the first book, yes. or yeah. some, mm-hmm. something like that. But the parts of the book that I was reading, and I think I didn't finish it because it was almost scene for scene exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And whereas I'm not opposed to that from a certain point of view, with time being precious, I thought there's there's nothing for me to gain here by continuing reading. Of course, then when I said that to somebody who'd read the books, they said, what are you talking about? There's lots of things different. You just have to get to this other bit. And it's like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. But um, I, don't, I don't feel like I need to. I feel like I'm, I'm going to be happy mm-hmm. to watch the entire TV series run, and then maybe if I want to after that, I'll go back and look at the books. But for, for the moment, I have no other perspective beyond what's, what's been shown on screen. 
Yeah, I think you know, the I game, think that's sorry, very right. fair. No, that I think I think that's a very fair perspective to have because like the show should stand on its own and it very well does. Um, you know, the, the, there's no need to read the books. You know, to to gain any further. Like I think they're doing brilliantly with combining elements of the books and of the novellas that are you know sort of the background stories of some characters which we don't even get in the novels. Um, so so yeah, like it's the show should do a brilliant job of just conveying the whole story without you having to read it. Um, so yeah, that's that's my two cents. Well, I think given what I've heard about the adaption as well from a friend of mine, the choices they've made seem to be, and I, I can't back this up, this is just this is purely setting our knowledge, but mm-hmm. he said that the, the show makes decisions that fit the medium. So mm-hmm. is it Christian yes. comes in in the first series, but she's actually only in the second book. Mm-hmm. That's right, but yeah. In, in terms of a very visual medium that is also going to need to move a lot faster because TV moves really quickly these days. They they wanted to make sure that they got all of the, the plot strands in and they didn't have to worry about time jumps and different characters here and there. It was... So, well, I'm sorry, the book, the book can worry about doing time jumps and moving her around, whereas a TV series is more chronological by nature. So mm-hmm. unless you're going to do a catch-up, you probably do need to see what the characters have been doing, as it were. So from what I've had described, they they bring her in with good purpose. And from my mm-hmm. perspective, having watched what her role has been in Series 1 all the way through to here, it hasn't seemed misplaced. It, no. It seems essential to me, mm-hmm. having you know watched that now. So so second-hand knowledge is what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm, I would submit that it it has not suffered from any of these choices that I've, I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's been spot on, sort of including stuff like that early, because it's sort of the background that explains everything else that's going on. It explains the sort of grander view, uh, the sort of universe out view of everything that's going on, or our galaxy's view anyway, at least. It's um, it's one of those ones, and I think the Game of Thrones line that you were talking about earlier on came from the fact that it it, it is on the book. It's like it's on the actual book, <laughs> Game of Thrones, and Game of Thrones in space. It's because the writers worked with George R R Martin as he was writing Game of Thrones, so it sort of ended up with all those quotes getting mangled in. I think. Right. Uh, it explains some of the tones. It's kind of Game of Thrones in space. I'll give it that, but it's maybe a line that put a few people off. <laughs> it's, Can you get dragons in space? Space dragons? Are we far away from space dragons? Maybe not. Oh, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows at this point? Who knows? Well, uh, on that note, uh, we will say that the spoiler-free part of the podcast is over. If you do not want any of the Expanse spoiled for you, and we are talking about Season 1 all the way through to Season 3, then pause the podcast here, go and watch three seasons worth of television, (laughs) and then you can return to hear us chat more about the Expanse after this noise. I've got no idea what that noise was, but there it is. Um, and now we can talk freely about everything. And, uh, you know, when I, when I was making the notes for this podcast, that's right, there are notes, I was struggling to come up with sort of a way of doing this almost coherently because there's so many arcs fitted into this season. It feels like there was about four seasons worth of television <laughs> condensed into what I watched. Was it just me that felt like that? No, absolutely. Agreed. <laughs> 
There was like a whole political plot on Earth that could have been an entire season of some sort of West Wing-esque future drama Mm -hmm. with space battle wars going on on the other side and sort of strange, creepy experiments going on on the other, some sort of psychological horror uh, that you could do on the other side. So I don't even know where to begin. Do we want to start with events unfolding on Earth and build out from there? How do you feel with that? Go start somewhere. <laughs> got to start somewhere. We might as well start at home. Let's go with that. So we've got all the plots that were left over from season two. So you've got the crew are handling uh, the fallout from Naomi's confession at the end of season two. You've got Bobby Draper and Coiter, and they are all on the ship after Ehrenreich's double cross. And then you've got a declaration of war between Earth and Mars. Have you been enjoying the sort of political angle that the show has been doing, Aaron? Um, no. <laughs> this is my weak part of the show, I think. It has seemed like they've had to cut so much out of a political story to fit it on camera that it never rang true for me. And I think that's a shame because the events that are going on were themselves extremely believable, mm-hmm. but but they were so narrow in focus in a way that you couldn't possibly see being actually executed in that way that it, it felt like a failed representation of something ridiculously important that could easily be going on right now. And I I think purely because they've got the UN as the main player on camera, which is, at the moment, this huge collection of people that moves so slowly because it's 190 however many nations. And I can imagine that over time this has obviously become different and it's become more of its... It's become more of an efficient body because they just have to have done so. But then when you go out and you see the guy giving speeches, you do seem to see representations of lots of countries. And yet you've got this secretary general that doesn't need to speak to anyone other than this one advisor. And I can believe that somebody could be sitting on someone's shoulder influencing them. But the idea that they never have to speak to anybody else in the UN to come to any form of agreement, decision, they don't have to talk to them, they don't have to discuss it with anybody, that you don't even see them, other than the meetings where the guy comes out and just says, this is what's going on, and everybody either claps or boos in this big UN area. But the, this is where perhaps the book's knowledge is necessary for me, and I, if that's true, I then still don't like it, because I don't feel like I should do my homework. But to me, the Secretary-General is an emperor, who has one advisor, and he is ruling the earth with an iron fist. Because there's no checks. He doesn't have to sign any documents. You know the bureaucracy that must go on in the UN now? It's, it's nowhere in all of this. So if you can now tell me that in the books, the, the earth is run as, a, as an imperial assembly, then I will understand <laughs> it. But I don't believe that to be true because of the presence of somebody like um, Christian. But but, but I mean, t- t- I mean, tell me what you think. How 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 much of a how much of a wrong perspective have I received on this? I think from what the TV shows gives you, you're not 
to wrong. And I think it's one of those bits that it's got to be in there for the story because it's very, very key, but they can't give it the time. It maybe needs to be fully explained and sort of set up how Earth is governed. It's just sort of given to you as, okay, it's the future and the UN has been sort of chosen as the lead organisation because all the countries in the world were already united under the UN, so it makes sense that the UN, if the planet is involved in negotiations, the UN would be the thing that would sort of take charge of that. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're kind of right. It's like there's there, there's little air gaps with some of the knowledge, and I think having the books does help, though that's not necessarily fair to the TV audience. Uh, how did you find it, Kat? I have to say I didn't mind it. Um, I I think it's fine. I'm there for, for Christian being awesome. Um, I'm there for Anna being awesome. Um, and just kind of like shaking my fist at, at Esteban being ridiculous. Um, <laughs> an absolute, well, what, what, what does he call him? I think he calls him like a bobblehead at some point. Just like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like, well, he is. He absolutely is. Uh, you know, like what what I find really interesting, which we don't really hear about on the show at all, is um, just like like Esteban's story. Like, how how d- does a man like him end up being president of the UN? Um, how, how you know, like especially because he came from like an activist background, and it's like, okay, like I'm actually really interested in his story, which we don't really get. Um, but yeah, I, um, <laughs> uh, I was kind of an Aaron Wright fan for like a hot minute at the end of season two, whenever he like almost got caught and like developed a conscience and I was like, Oh, okay. Like maybe I like this guy. And then he just like completely did a 180 and was like, Nope, <laughs> I'm going to be evil now. Um, so just, yeah, it's just been a whole season of that, to be honest. Um, I I didn't mind I didn't mind the the sort of like perhaps unrealistic aspect of there's no bureaucracy there's not enough bureaucracy um it's it's all in favor of you know sort of punchy visual action based storytelling um I I feel like if there was more of that then it would be slower um perhaps if it had its own season perhaps if it had it like all of its West Wing glory to sort of expand that sort of storytelling, and that would have been fine. But having also the war in space and like the proto molecule stuff, and then later like the the ring, and then just like everything that happens inside the ring, just like there's there's a lot. There is absolutely a lot, um, and it would take more than one season to tell all of this. So it's to me, it's fine. I I didn't I found that the balance was okay. I think okay. it's oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'll let you go. I was just going to well, just to to say why I was expecting more. I think of it is because of the way season one opens, episode one, even the the very first thing you hear from this show is an economic reason why we shouldn't help people in trouble. And then it's backed up with a very scientific explanation of why that economics is true. So they go into this fine detail about, do you know how much it would cost to turn this ship around and put the brakes on? And you're thinking, oh my God, you've you've really put a lot of effort into thinking about (laughs) how this whole economic system has to work. I mean, the detail in, you know, the detail in that argument alone 
could actually be taken onto a podcast by some scientists and economists and discussed, you know. So the whole show opens with this thing that encourages you to sit down and think about what everything means. It's one of the reasons I really like this show is because it opens with that hard sci-fi, which I don't think I'm seeing a lot of at the moment. We don't have a real interest in hard sci-fi. And then when it was presented to me, it, it really hooked me in. But mm-hmm. then in season three, there's so much that then seems to change into, and don't look at this too heavily because we've got a lot to get through and you can't analyze it. It's like, no, 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 no. You won me over by saying, analyze me. I'm, I'm consistent. I've got lots of detail. And that sharp change into series, in series three was, was a bit unwelcome for me because I felt like I was being asked to analyze something that couldn't bear analysis. So I think I would actually rather, if that political subplot couldn't get the analysis that I've been invited to make, I might have been tempted just to cut it and just hear about it on the news. This evil guy has said this. And all the characters go, oh my God, how could he possibly do that? That means this, that and the other for us. And then you get another news report and it looks like it's falling into chaos, but from a distance. But again, that consequence filters out. Keeping the focus on the on the crew, I, th- I think I wouldn't... My, my invite to analyze would have been, oh my God, I'd love to see what's going on inside the UN, but I can't. And I get to make that up in my own head. It, it would have kept me in the same frame of mind so yeah i think i I would rather they just didn't show it if they couldn't fulfill the the same level of detail i think you're right they could have done it with the uh, rolling you know sort of rolling news clips throughout when people are sort of watching the view screens and sort of fitting bits in the background and they did that a little bit later on they did. Uh, one sort of Christian was further away. It was like she was just having to get stuff on the news screen. She wasn't able to communicate with everyone. She was just able to watch it. And they kind of zoomed us out a little bit at that point as well. So we couldn't quite see what was going on. Yeah. And I did like that. It does give you a very uh, good introduction to Anna, though, when she's sort of trying to get them to to stand down, you know, stop the Secretary General from sort of calling all out war, trying to question stuff. I mean, ultimately... The consequences are a nuclear missile hitting the earth at the end, and it's it's something that is like fitted in at the end of an episode, so zoomed out at the point where you're like, the scale of that, <laughs> the impact yes. of that, um, is is just absolutely huge when you think about it in your head, but. For the show, it's like the, the the show doesn't have any breathing space for that whatsoever. It's like they've just got to they've got to go on from that impact, and that's going to have you know, it's going to have ramifications. I think we are going to see that in future seasons. I would think, but there will be ramifications from that. You'd think, given they've done so much with the ramifications for the individuals, specifically mm-hmm. the the belters, I, it it's a shame there's not someone who's a strong earther on board in that sort of, you know, proud to be an earther sense who mm. would have felt the horror of someone saying, by the way, nuclear missile hit, will you see what? And then they have to go and get the news and they're starting to reel it off. You know, I think they could have given you that horror from one of the characters' perspectives and it would have fitted with the way they've delivered the rest of the news. As you say, when they pull that camera back and you don't know what's going on, the uncertainty... I think adds to horror in a greater sense that or much easier than than just telling you the truth. In fact, 
doesn't really necessarily sink in, but oh my God, how did that possibly happen can really play on your mind. So again, I, I could, that pulling back is something I would have probably wanted them to do more of and give me that hit, you know, I think. Have you got anything to add on that one, Kat, or will we... Um... No, we can we can move on. I th- I th- I completely agree that yeah, like, I I really like this sort of like analytical look. I have to admit that I don't that I, I yeah I don't I don't approach stories with that analytical an eye. So it's a very interesting perspective. Ah, well, there you go. There you go. Mm-hmm. Can I? Do you, you hear that, Aaron? For a change, we're yeah. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be at some point, I guess. Wow. Yeah. We've found the one. We've found the one. Um, just get a listener like that as well. There you go. Um, <laughs> so t- there's one more thing I want to put in just because I felt strongly about it as well, just where we're on the subject go before we move on. The Secretary General, I, I haven't memorized his name, but I think he must have been Esteban. Are you saying Esteban? Is Esteban that? Sorrento Gillis is his surname, yeah. Right. I've just, I've just picked him as his job title. But um, I had trouble with him, which I think also stopped me enjoying his scenes because, again, because I felt I was being encouraged to analyse, although that might have just been my own head, but I couldn't see how he turned. I I do not understand how the person who was a strategic, cold-hearted, thinking activist turned into a lily-livered... Uh, indecisive leader of the secretary uh, of, of the UN. I, I don't understand the, how those two characters can be the same character. And I constantly kept thinking, show me who you are. Show me why you changed. Show me what caused mm. this. What, yeah. What's going on? And it, they're not the same person. And so because I'm spending all this time thinking, there's a reveal here. Are you going to give me the reveal? And then I, I feel like I don't get the reveal, but then I'm still thinking about it. It stopped me getting into the mood of the piece because I cannot deny that the the Reverend character again. I'm not going to give the name Anna. I just got it. Um, mm-hmm. And even the main evil guy, you know, he's evil and he says he commits to the evil, you know. And you feel like you could get into that, but I'm just I'm I'm spending too much time trying to think because because it doesn't actually fall into place for me that that I once I couldn't get behind his character, once I couldn't get behind the UN. It all felt like it wasn't playing out in real space for me, I think. And his character was a big part of that. Fair. <laughs> I think, I think, sort of, Aaron Wright. Uh, you fair, know, uh, absolutely is, is a fair an- analysis. Mm-hmm. Is definitely the one that sort of turned him a little bit and sort of the advisors, you know, you start out, I mean, there must be a ton of political leaders out there that do start with a genuine vision, but by the time the PR department's got in and said that won't fly with voters, and Probably. the other advisors and campaigners have got in and said, oh, actually, that won't work either, and this won't work, this will be more palatable, here you go, go out with this. By the time they do several years of that, I think whatever they have, you know, fire and fury or whatever, is distilled down to something palatable uh, or something manipulated by others. You're probably right. You pr- it, it, it does have a natural ch- change, and it was supposed to have been done over, I guess, decades. The character had changed. I think I just needed to see it 
something of it uh, bef- earlier, just to just show me that it was a slide down. Maybe if he himself had thought about his previous days, if he'd brought something up, if if he'd have remembered his activist days. Oh, I remember when I could make decisions. Nothing so brutal and in your face, obviously. But if if he himself had been shown to be a decisive person later and he'd been ruined, then I, I, I would have embraced exactly that slide you've discussed. But I, I didn't see it and I wanted to see it. So uh, while all this is going on in the background, we are also over are looking towards Io to try and rescue May. Um, the, the, the rescue sort of carried on from the previous season and I really enjoyed the sort of way that we got to see what was going on on Io and them trying to come up with a plan for the rescue the sort of rescue heist for want of a, a better phrase uh, what did you think about that Kat? Uh, yes I <laughs> um, I found very interesting the sort of um after they pick up Christian on the ship, which in itself was, you know, finally these characters get to meet. <laughs> you know, I'm forgetting that came Christian, first. Actually, I really, yeah, I really should talk Christian, about that bit first. Actually, Christian coming onto the ship, going, "How the hell are you here? How the hell are you the ones rescuing me? You're everywhere, Holden. What the hell? I love that. <laughs> I feel like that's um, it's summed up in a line that, and I suppose we're gonna get to that later, uh, but a line that a certain detective person says well who isn't himself he's someone else but in any case he says you know that uh, holden finds himself shrugging his way through like a bunch of incidents you know like how how are you here in the midst of all of this well i don't know but i am (laughs) he shrugs his way (laughs) and that's that perfectly sums up james holden i just and i love that but in any case um so having all these characters together like in the first instance was like like a moment like finally (laughs) they get to meet um but what i found the most interesting was the sort of argument that they found themselves in like do we do we go back do we go to io as we have promised because we promised Prax we would do this, or do we go to this other place to follow this other line of action um, because Christian wants us to, um, or, you know, because um, uh, Naomi says, you know. Um, and it's it's interesting, like, sort of seeing Holden in the perspective, in, in, the, in the position to say, no, we'll, we'll go to Io because we've promised, because, like, he has spent a lot of season two, like, doing exactly not that. Um, so it's, it's very interesting how Naomi's, like, revelation of, of giving the Prada Molecule to Fred Johnson, like, how that influences his position. And he, he just is done. He's done with a lot of this. Um, and he's like, well, you know, we promised this man we're going to go save his daughter. So maybe that's going to make us more, you know, be, on the moral high ground. So we should do that so that we can feel good about ourselves again. Um, Cause he feels like garbage in that moment. And I get that. Um, it's just, yeah, like a very interesting, obviously I haven't read the book 
So I don't know if Book Holden is like this, uh, but this is one of the differences that I really enjoy about the show is seeing Holden as not just the righteous hero all the time, seeing him mess up, seeing him make, you know, sort of rash choices and bad decisions and feeling disappointed. Like, I, I feel like Book Holden, the, the, like I don't know, like reading book one, I just didn't get a lot of that. Um, but on the show, he is, I feel like a lot, maybe because we get to see him from not, fr from outside of him, if that makes sense, because mm. the book is from his, like, in his point of view, the, the sections that are in his point of view, like, we don't really get to see what other people think, but the show kind of feels a little more, what's the word, like, objective, like, mm. seeing, seeing Holden from the outside and seeing him you know, make mistakes and mess up and all of that. Like, I, f I feel like that that was my favorite part of that whole, like, first half of the season until the sort of climax in Io was that. Like, just disappointed, angry Holden was, like, my favorite thing. Yes, that's it. He's, that's my two cents. <laughs> he's one of these characters, the thing is, is uh, the, the angle that I like is, is that he's an accidental captain. You know, mm -hmm. he never thought he was going to get involved and have to make these high, high profile decisions. I mean, that's a huge decision. It's going, right, okay, we've got the conflict between Earth, Mars and the belt trapped in between it. We can go and deal with that or we can go and rescue this one girl. And I think at that point, it's rescuing the one girl seems like the most manageable thing that they can do out of the whole situation that they've got in front of them. And and you're right, that sort of thing with Christian arriving or waking up in the med bay, mm -hmm. falling unconscious, waking up in the med bay and who's standing there in front of her but Holden, you know, just I, I thought was brilliant. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. I mean, the, the thing about... Um, being sort of making bad mistakes and poor choices a lot of the time it's that he's got sort of too much faith in others mm. it's like he thinks oh well other humans will make the good choice the right choice like i would i mean that's been his whole thing from the beginning from exactly what aaron said earlier on let's turn this entire this entire transport ship around throw on the brakes and let's go and investigate this distress signal where you know about 50% of the people there were like, no, let's carry on. You know, do you know how long this will hold us up before we get home and we're going to lose this profit and we're going to burn this fuel and, you know, you'll probably get out there and it'll be pirates, you know. So, you know, he's always been sort of optimistic. Uh, the books later on do feature chapters from other characters' point of view, so you do get to see different sides of Holden and uh, exactly what you were saying, sort of other characters' views of him. Mm -hmm. um, either telling other people about him or um, sort of monologuing, internally monologuing about first meeting or uh, or chatting. So you do get that a little bit later on. But it's um, but yeah, he is one of these people that sort of just sees the better side of a lot of people. And I think it's when you see that illusion getting shattered for him on a regular basis, going, well, surely the nice scientist man took her away and rescued her. Oh, no, he was evil and he was experimenting on her. Okay, well, that, <laughs> that's supposed... Well, at least you destroyed the proto-molecule by sort of uh, firing it into the sun. Oh, no, you've given it away. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> All right, okay, and I thought I trusted you. Okay, that, and that's the bits where you just see him slowly getting shattered to pieces. Any illusion that everyone is making the choices that he thinks they should, and you do see him being a bit of a broken man. Hmm. Aaron, what about you? I think that 
this is also where I got my favorite stuff for the whole show from. And even if it didn't necessarily sit, if, even if season three didn't sit necessarily so well with me as maybe some of the other seasons, it's the stuff that goes on on the ship with the internal politics of their own friendships that is, mm-hmm. is what I've come back for. Mm. And it, it's, it, my highlight character and moment is, is not, is not necessarily Holden, but it, it's still deeply part of the crew. Um, my, my favorite bits is Amos and Prex, I think yeah. the, the two of them developing their friendship because they're so opposite. And yet, these crew full of completely opposite people, you know, I'm a military Martian, you're a, you're a trader, you know, I've got the strong connection to the belt, or I've got the strong connection to the people that you hate. And when you look at them, they should be killing each other. And sometimes they almost do, you know, they, they get to that point, but they always come back around. So they give you this family angle as well as people who are deeply involved in the politics to the extent that Naomi doesn't fire the weapon of massively mass destruction into the sun. You know, she she does make that choice. So it, it, that's definitely the strong part. But I will pick out um, yeah those two characters, Amos and Prax, together as, as my favorite bit. Just for that line, when Amos repeats, he's my best friend in all the world. Mm-hmm. And it's said so matter-of-factly in that it's just true. <laughs> and you know that Amos hasn't made that decision rationally in his head. He hasn't thought about it and gone, well, I've not known him that long. Honestly, we don't send Christmas cards, and I only just met his daughter briefly. You know, he's, he hasn't done that analysis. He is very much... That guy said that I was his best friend in all the world, and we did go through the rescue of his daughter in his head without processing it. That's just the way it is. That is now... Oh, we could talk about Amos for... Yeah, we could talk... <laughs> about Amos for 20 years, swear to God, um, his character journey and his like sort of like getting to know him better is genuinely, I think the best part of season three. Like it's, it's, it's fascinating to me, but yeah, we could, we could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> I mean, the thing is through his chats with, uh, with Prax and then also his, uh, I know we're skipping like way ahead by talking mm-hmm. about this conversation, but his conversation with Anna, uh, yeah. in the sort of season finale is it, like you say, you just get to know that character more and more and more. I think he's played really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the stuff of Prax was great. I mean, even the, the sort of rescue scene, where he's not tied down the tool shelf right. So suddenly every time the gravity shifts within the ship, these little sort of ricocheting tools and bolts and bu- become bullets mm-hmm. rattling about the place. And when you sort of... Um, the the old uh, movie uh, trick of sort of sharing the oxygen tank <laughs> going on, I thought was, was a brilliant scene. I mean, it must have been pretty darn awkward to shoot that as well, but, mm-hmm. but that was... That's what I mean by the fact that the show invites you to consider that this is hard science fiction. You know, there's there's no Star Trek moment where, yeah, it's fine. The inertial dampeners will catch that. You know, we're all, Mm -hmm. we'll be fine. You know, the 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 transporters will sort that. What you're worried about, you know, it's got a disease. Oh, they'll cure it on the middle of the transport. You don't have any of that at any moment. Yeah. If you don't even lock down every single nail, that's just effectively a mini rail gun inside your cabin. So that the whole show is inviting you to think, this is really happening. 
and that that awakened me to 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 some of the things that I didn't like. But equally, every single time they do something like that, even the conversations Prax has about the plants, mm-hmm. I was listening mm. in on that. I couldn't get enough of that. He's, they do that chat where they're coming in and. Is it Holden saying, look, all the plants are fine, and Prax is going, everybody is already dead, and they don't even know it. <laughs> and he starts going into explaining why, and I thought, oh, my God, I didn't understand any of that, but that made so much sense. <laughs> and you believe that he's a scientist, and therefore, that, that belief gives me a trust in the show. That trust in the show lets me believe that the mysteries are real. So it, it does add something really important to me every time they do it, and that's why I'm still in... That's why The Expanse is still a show that I love. Mm. I I just really enjoyed Prax in this season as well. I mean, the, we were talking earlier on about a broken hold and the scene where he's destroying and taking yeah. lumps out of the coffee machine. Mm-hmm. It is in pieces all over the place and Prax simply chimes tri- <laughs> in with, you should try tea. It was just <laughs> a line that had me rolling about. I absolutely loved it. And the fact yeah. that the show has had time as much as they've been covering all these grand things, they've had time for the sort of relationship drama within the ship and this small family that when you fall out, you've got about 20 metres to the left or 20 metres to the right you can go. There's no avoiding any conflict with people. They managed to fit all that in, plus a bit of humour, while covering these huge sort of storylines that are going on in the background, I think is quite a triumph for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Prax as well, like his his change from like being like a soft, like, you know, like I just I just want to grow soybeans and, you know, like play with my daughter and, you know, just like live on Ganymede quietly to I'm going to destroy everything and like shoot that <laughs> man dead. Like it's just such such a, a turn. Um, and it's fascinating to watch that because really we've only known this guy for like half of season two. And then, like, five episodes of this. So, like, just very, like, like we really, we really get to know him um, and and watch that that journey. And it's fascinating Um, and really well done, really well acted. Um, I mean, that I feel can be extended to, like, pretty much everyone on the show. Like, everyone's Mm. performances are just top notch. Like, I really feel what they're feeling and like you know that that drama that family drama as you say you know like in the in the confined space all of that that whole half of the season is just the most awkward like painful thing because it would be because like being in that space and like genuinely having such a massive rift between each other like that's such a powerful like emotion and I I feel like they get that across so well um you know like Naomi being like really apologetic and trying to bridge the gap but with like Alex and you know like the fact that Amos and I feel like we're gonna come back to Amos a lot oh yeah like Amos like feels so betrayed because she betrayed them because she was his moral compass she was the person who told him you know how to distinguish right from wrong and then she goes ahead and does this. And it's like, well, I trusted you with my moral choices. And I, I don't, I'm not able to do that anymore. And just that sort of permanent shift between them, like, is, is super painful. Um, 
and and a very interesting turn of events because I don't know like Amos comes across as the kind of guy who like I I guess like not exactly but like has no feelings but not exactly if you know what I mean you know like he's j he just kind of like does what needs to get done he doesn't necessarily you know fret about the shoulds and the coulds um of of any situation he just kind of like walks in sees how it is and just like goes ahead and does whatever needs to be done with no qualms um but i always go back to that line in and i feel like that's in maybe season two right like the the, the way i see it there's three kinds of people in the world the bad ones the ones you follow and the ones you protect Mm-hmm. And that that's how he sees the world. And it's a very interesting moment seeing, seeing like um, Naomi, like lose her place as someone to follow and slowly seeing Holden becoming the one that um, Amos follows, even though at the beginning of the show, he couldn't give a damn what Holden said either way. Uh, but by the end of season three, like you really see Amos like, trust Holden and listen to him and and like follow whatever he says you know like properly properly like a captain and, and just I love that I love that so much <laughs> um, and, th- and that moment you know like he's my best friend in the whole world like I feel that Amos always like does like form really close friendships with people who treat him as a person as opposed to as a tool because he's strong and like he's, he can be violent and he has skills. And so very often I feel like people take advantage of that, but the people who treat him as an equal, as a person, they are the ones who get his loyalty. Um, And that can be seen with Prax, like Prax never questions, never, you know, sort of undermines Amos or like, like treats him like a stupid or anything like that. Like anytime Amos has a question, Prax just answers it like, you know, very honestly. And their whole friendship, their whole relationship is a very sort of like equal give and take sort of friendship. So by the time that Prax says he's my best friend in the whole world, like Amos has this face where he's like, really? I am? Oh my God. (laughs) Really? Like, and, you know, partly it could be that, you know, Prax just says this so that his daughter trusts Amos and, like, goes away with him. But also, I think he means it. And I think that Amos knows that. Um, So when he repeats that line later, I'm just heartbroken. (laughs) Just, I'm, oh, Amos, I can't, I can't believe, I can't even... um, Yes. I mean the the bond that the two share is incredible, and I suppose that leads us naturally onto the the events at Io, mm. and the sort of the rescue of May at that point. And you know, Amos ends up making the tough moves that Prax not wouldn't have the guts to do, but he but doesn't he want him to. Ha- he doesn't yeah. want. He doesn't want him to. Even if he did, he doesn't want him to have that on his mind, on his mm-hmm. conscience. He's too pure for it, so yeah, I, I, I just found it quite, like you say, quite moving. All that sort of stuff going on in the background and and handling it very well, and 
you know, I was I was glad to see the outcome of that. I mean, the whole Jules Pierre Mao sort of plot in the background. There was bits of it that I didn't quite didn't quite gel with me with the IO stuff, which was the it was kind of a, a flip flopping panto villain at some points. <laughs> Where it was, and I, I, you know, I don't know how else to describe it. It was one minute, it was, he saw the kids and he went, oh my God, these kids are innocent, stop the experiment. And then a scientist, about 10 seconds later, would tap him on the shoulder and go, by the way, we can make a ton of money. And he would go, okay, experiments are back on. And then he would go out in the corridor, he would find someone playing with a ball, he would walk back in and go, right, that's it. There's, there's genuinely, guys, this time we're packing it in. And then the next guy would come in and go, by the way, we've discovered a thing that will make us two times more money, what that guy said. Okay, put it all back in. More drugs, more drugs on them, yeah. More drugs. <laughs> I like this. I, I, I definitely, like, when, when he sees May and then he's like, oh, like, oh, yeah, it's definitely off because this girl reminds me of my daughter, so... um. Yeah, stop. Shut, shut it down. Like as if. <laughs> yeah. He has been he has been bankrolling this, and like he has known what all of this involves. So just seeing this little girl who look who maybe looks like Julie, like I yeah I didn't I didn't buy it. I don't I don't know like why that was there. Um, what purpose it served other than like delaying May's like injections that's it i think yeah i think i think that's about as much as it did because you get the impression that this is the guy that left an entire space station to get infected with this stuff right w- w- women children and all and just film it for the science experiment so at that point you're like okay why why is he now caring about this one room it's like he's he's kind of gone beyond mustache twisting villain at this point so he, he's he's full in and i didn't quite get the the flip-flopping in there. I don't know. How about you, Aaron? Well, I just, I just admit I find that m- probably one of the most interesting things that we'll end up talking about because everything that I think um, Kat said about Aaron Wright, mm-hmm. I've thought about um, Jules-Pierre, and oh. everything you've just said about Jules-Pierre, I think about Aaron Wright. Interesting. Mm. Ah, okay. <laughs> so it, it it just goes to show you how how subjective this can be and how much mm-hmm. you add yourself, I guess. But to to throw my side into that then, Aaron Wright to me had no motivation other than he was told he was evil and he just remembered. He'd forgotten for a bit yes. so he, and then he remembered. So it's like, oh, brilliant, I know what I'm doing now. And he goes all sassy at the end when he gets caught and throws his one-liners out there, you know. <laughs> But I don't really know why he's doing this. Did he want power? Did he think he was going to step in? I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. But he he had his badge and he, he did what he needed to do with it. But I thought the opposite then of Jules-Pierre because this guy was somebody that I did believe um, was affected by guilt and that he could quite easily write off his daughters to his company needs because he'd he'd got a purpose that I didn't see Aaron Wright had because he honestly seemed to believe through some of his chat that this was the end of the human race. This is over. If we don't commit to this, then we lose genetically forever. Whereas Aaron Wright was just kind of wandering about. So I I totally believe that Mao had a reason for doing what he did because because he had that conviction. And he was even prepared 
to sacrifice his favorite daughter to that because it was well either i give up my favorite daughter or it's the end of the human race so much as this upsets me i kind of have to i kind of have to weigh in here you know it's money where your mouth this time but of course he's presented with all of this information about what happens and for the first time when he goes to io he actually gets to see it I mean, they do show him the video of his daughter, but it's of you know, and um, uh, is it Eris? I forgot what this, the the what what asteroid were they on? Ceres. Eros. Eros. He does get to show you the, the the video capture of his dead daughter on Eros, but it it's just this image of a shadow in a dark room at the end of an experiment. It's not somebody saying, "Daddy, why have you done this to me?" You know, it's over. So he can sort of. I mean, you can see the look on his face. I mean, credit to the actor. You can see the look on his face that he does think, ah, that's awful. But then he gets over it because it's, it's not got that immediacy. But then you take him in a desperate trip across the universe, taking away that distance and putting him in the room with these kids. He's never been in the room with these kids before. They are numbers on a sheet of paper to him. He's not even seen their faces. But because he's now stuck out in space and he's got nowhere to go, he has to go to the lab. And he turns up, and then he meets this daughter figure, and it is just too much. That guilt that he felt when he saw his own dead, his daughter's dead body, hits him back in the face, and he has to deal with it. They are right there. And he gets really attached to this kid because he's holding her hand. And I could believe that that would sway him because of that immediacy, of that, that actual tactile encounter would just throw you out. As soon as you get your body into it, that's when your emotions come in and that's it, you're out. You can't make any decisions anymore. But the important thing I thought, I, I don't know if I misread the scene actually, but I'd honestly thought that the reason he was quite happy to let the experiment f fall was because it was failing. And it was this choice between, you can't save your daughter, but you can save this young girl. And it's experiment's failing anyway, then surely you should save the girl. But then the scientist guy, the lead scientist guy, the key evil, turns around and says, massive discovery, the experiment is going to work. And so his ideology kicks back in. And it's like, yes, I did this because it was a matter of saving. The, the, it's not even just saving the world. It's saving all of humanity. So that kicks back in. And this ideology is the one thing that gets him to turn away from his family connections. So I think his his change from um, pro-experiment, anti-experiment, pro-experiment fitted with the conflict of his soul and his family against his intellect and his reason, saying saying save the save the human race. I, I did, and, and therefore I did believe it. But I I got to admit, again, I'm seeing what I'm seeing on the TV. I, I've not had any background. I mean, for all I know, it was the money, I, but, but that, I didn't, I'm saying I didn't see it that way. I did see mm. this, this father figure struggling with his own that's belief a very system. Interesting, that's a very, very interesting view. I think when I rewatch this, I'd like to to sort of like look at him more closely because that's that's a very interesting take, which I can definitely see being true. Um, I think think that it was a very short turnaround of moments so like it would have been nice to spend perhaps a little more time with Jules Pierre where he's not just an evil <laughs> uh, an evil douchebag um, that would be great but I suppose you know we can't have everything 
Um, yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting take, actually. But, like, but yeah, I like I th- that. I think you're spot on with some of what you're saying there. And I do think it's a, it's a time aspect as well. I think it's that some of these scenes were so close together. Yeah. You would literally cut to one other scene somewhere else, and within the next scene, he was back to, let's put the kids into pods and fire them into space. And it was, or you know, or let's turn turn the crank this up to 120. I want to see what it does. Uh, let's get the readings, you know. So I, but as you said, I, I do get what you're start, saying. It's a time. so many plots all in one series. Yes. So maybe they all suffer that. Yeah. I suppose while we're talking about Jules Pierre, um, also out and about at the same time as this is going on at Io, there is a a fleet. An air fleet floating about for the the rings, which includes Clarissa Mao. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the introduction of this character? Um, right. I struggled with Clarissa. I wanted to like her. Um, she. I think. I think. Especially her introduction is like this this other person, this Melba character who's like this gifted engineer and things like mm. that. Like it just got me thinking about like because Julie was very good at certain things as well. Like she was she was a very gifted pilot. Uh, she must have been smart, like in the engineering department. You know, she must have been useful to the OPA in some way. Um, apart from just like her her piloting, you know. And, like, that, I, f- I found Melba's sort of, like, character just, like, really interesting. I kept thinking about how, like, she obviously is very smart and very capable, but her father just, like, keeps putting her down, and all she wants is to prove that she is as much worth his admiration as Julie was, perhaps more, you know, because she's more dedicated, because um, she is on his side where Julie wasn't. Um, you know, so, like, on paper, like, she has all the makings of a character that I could really get behind. But just, I don't know, like, her entire, like, obsession, oh, if I just kill James Holden, everything will be fine. Is it? (laughs) I'm just, like, like, you know, for all your, your smarts and your capability, you know, very obviously, you've got a screw loose in there somewhere. Um, and... You know, that that just, like, kept me from fully being able to engage with her. I don't know. How about I you? I, I, it's, it's one of those ones, it's like, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm tainted somewhat by the books, but mm. it was one of these characters that I was always like, this is the most convoluted plot. And it's one of those ones that you, <laughs> you know, you're, you read it or you, you see it on telly or in films all the time. It's like, what do you want to do? I want to kill him. Okay, well, here's the gun. Go and shoot him. No, no, no. I want them to suffer first. Here's the convoluted way I'm going to do it. I am going to pretend to be a mechanic. I'm going to work on this fleet. I'm going to hide bombs. I'm going to hack his ship by putting a spy on board. I'm going to get them to film him and edit and adjust a video to make it look like he blew up the ship. I'm going to get it to broadcast from there, blow up them, cause the other ships to then attack his ship and hopefully kill him. 
He's like, there's other and ways of doing this. if that doesn't work, I'm going to go on there and kill him myself. Uh, yeah, and if not, I am going to kick off and just do everything I possibly I'll can. I'll just do until it I can myself re- then. I will take the whole plating off piece by piece until I get there. And that, just... that was the bit that was like, I was like, this is one of those, uh, <laughs> it was just like escalating and getting worse and worse. And I'm going, ah, it's like there's... It, She's definitely got something from her father's side there when it comes to the convoluted planning, yeah, you know. Yeah, so true. it's 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 definitely one of their family things, I think. But yeah, I didn't, I haven't, I haven't warmed to the character at all. And I think time again, I think is one of the things that it's very difficult to try and explain her backstory. It's very difficult to try and get that turnaround that you get in the finale. Where it's okay, I'm I'm having a change of heart here. I'm going to try and save the day, and you, and you sort of I think it's too it's too convenient and too close for her to have these conversations and this change of heart so quickly. But for TV reasons, I I understand like a lot of this stuff. But I I, I don't know. She might she might grow on me. Just for fun, I'm going to completely agree with you on that one. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Just for fun, okay. Yeah. The, well, the, do you know, I did. I, I, I did find her setup believable. I did find that somebody could driv- be driven into a a sort of madness, mm. uh, and I did believe they could be desperate and and try and get to the source of their pain by any means necessary. So I believed it to the point where she was. Uh, an engineer having f- found a way of getting close to Holden. Like, that was the only way she could do it, and she got close. And at that point, you, you know, I'd, I'd be thinking, right, now she has to make a new plan. But then, of course, all the stuff you say kicks in. She's already got a plan. It's just crazy. It's it's over the top. And then there's just no way, I believe, that she then fell for Holden's ideology and and turned and was one of the good guys and, it, yeah, there was. But as you said, like all the other plots, with more time and more room to manoeuvre, they could have done something with it. But but otherwise, no, good setup, but couldn't go anywhere because of its own weight. And I suppose I'm trying. I'm trying to think of how to fit in all the bits. I think I've jumped about a little bit chronologically. Um, but um, da, 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 what will we do? Uh, we've got the beam off as well uh, out there. So we've got one of the characters that I really, really enjoyed this season again is uh, Draper. Um, getting given the bear off, the, the newly rechristened ship to suddenly turn into a belter war vessel uh, to get done. And I suppose more political wranglings there, not so much. It's more sort of you get hints that you know, a mutiny could be brewing at any moment and the tension between different belters and their ideologies on board the behemoth. Did you pick up on that, uh, Aaron? Um, I think that... I, certainly certainly, the, the stuff with the, the belters coming together was a, was a big deal. I don't think I could really say Draper was a big part of that for me. I 
I did see how they brought her into it. I did say how it made sense, but it did feel like, how do we get Draper into the final plot? Um, and we need to start ramming all these other things in the way to get her here. Um, so I don't know. Sorry, that- do, you, do, you know, do you know what? I've thrown a spanner in because I should have said drummer. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, sorry, that's my fault. This sorry, is that totally is completely my fault. It's like completely <laughs> different. Do you know? I'm sitting there and I'm going, hang on, hang on. No, no, no. I've, I've got the ca- I've got the bloody character. I've got the character name wrong. I'm sorry. I'm talking about drummer. <laughs> Who's the the, be, the belt the belter sort of uh, security chief from Tycho? She's given right. the beam off to uh, to deal with. So sorry. <laughs> okay, coming to that that question, Drummer is my favourite character. I think in the whole. I thing. love her. Yes. So, I, I'm, sorry. I'm now going to say that she does actually uh, almost epitomise the group that she leads. I think that character is very well designed for that reason alone. She could be the entire belt just personified and her whole arc of being manipulated start having an ideology whilst also being a complete cynic who wants to believe and moving beyond the people manipulating her to suddenly be in charge but then also goes back through that same loop again when the people who previously manipulated her send somebody else in in the in the form of ashford and she doesn't know if it's a challenge or not. The cynic tells her it is, but the ideologist says, but maybe it's not, and she has to fight through it. And then they also get that scene, which is possibly my favourite episode, I think, of this season, is where Ashford and, and Drummer are in the maintenance area, and they're both trapped. And mm. all that tension between them comes together. And it, I mean, it's a classic Star Trek episode, really, isn't it? It's like, these two characters hate each other. Put them in a spot, make them work together. Hey, friends at the end. So, <laughs> but it, it, it could have been trite in that way. But because the characters, both of them, I mean, I love David Strother and everything I've seen him in, I've found him good, to be honest. But not to detract from, um, from the actress who plays uh, drummer. I'm just going to get to it quickly. IMDb is a great thing. Cara G. Cara G, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the two of them both play it so well. Both characters, though, are built up. Um, Ashford comes in, in charge, making decisions, and lets you know who he is. And but without, they don't need any exposition for you to know who he is. I think that's a brilliant bit of writing. And um, drummer is built up through many series and uh, episodes, so you definitely know who she is. So when they come together in their moment in that maintenance bay, and they are actually having their ideological battle, I believed every word of it. There was not anything that I thought was put on. And and that that was like a key scene for me for the whole thing. And and again, I've said that Drummer is possibly the personification of the belt. Well, po- potentially that argument between the two of them is the personification of the argument going in the belt. Mm. Uh, at that moment, they are giving you this this perfect microcosm discussion about what the belt is having to deal with and i come back to the same point but with great purpose it's that level of detail mm-hmm. that is why i love the expanse because they they invite me in to analyze it to see what's going on to have a look at the layer below and think no there's something here as well if you look and and this scene gives it to me and in such a good way, also with characters that I also... I mean, if I have to pick my coolest characters, as sometimes you do, 
I picked both of those two. So best characters in the best scene, doing what the show does best, top notch. I could watch that and and not not worried about anything else. Mm. I mean, the thing is that there's the both of their views from certain points are valid. You know, if you go to the extreme of either end, okay, no, they're not. But both have valid points to what the future of the belt could be and where they fit in in the whole thing. And I do like that they never quite set up one to be completely against the other. Because you've been introduced to drummer first, you naturally sort of go, well, I know you and I trust you in a way, so I'm looking at your point of view. But Ashford still has a point. It's like they never go down, like we, we said earlier on, about other stuff, sort of moustache twirly, and you know there's history between the two of them. You know there's yes. stories about both of them, and you can just feel the crackle and the tension as they have the debate. But like you say, it's done from such a believable point of view that you're like, this would be a real debate that would happen at that time with all that's been set up. And that's, I think, where this series is its strongest. It really can be. Kat, uh, what about you? Hmm. I mean, I have loved drummer since she showed up it's my understanding that she's not in the book that she is sort of an amalgam of other characters is that right that yeah there is a character that drummer is a character in the book however what they've done is they've kind of brought in a few other characters that get introduced in other bits of the stories and they've basically just merged it all into one and do you know what from a selfish point of view it also makes her one of the most interesting characters for me as a book reader Mm -hmm. because they can do whatever they like to her (laughs) it's like exactly it's one of those ones that adds just a whole level Mm -hmm. like that's what i like i said earlier like i think that every change they've made and this is definitely due to um you know the two writers of the books being in the writer's room making the decisions helping shape whatever you know adaptation changes you know like it's all stamped with their seal of approval um and and only in favor i feel of the story you know n- none of this is done for for any other reason than to tighten up to make more visual to make it more punchy more you know so in that respect, um, and coming back to Drummer, I love her. She is absolutely one of my favorite characters in the entire show. Um, I love her commitment to Belters. Like, I feel that she is, as, as Aaron said, like very much like a, a, an example Belter. And her entire approach to sort of leadership and her pride in being a Belter and what what she understands you know as their purpose and how how to go about it how to go about sort of like bringing belters to the foreground you know making them as important as the inners all of that um when ashford shows up i thought you know that there were a couple of places they could take that conflict um you know i was sure that there was going to be a mutiny at some point Mm. Um, and it would have been, you know, it would have made for interesting TV. You know, I still would have liked that if that had happened. But what I found very interesting was that he, too, is a great leader, has a great sort of like outlook on what being a belter means, what, you know, what purpose they can serve in this like new landscape, um, how they can you know, be better than the inners even, not so much, you know, just as important, but even better. 
Um, and, you know, the, the idea that perhaps these two characters, they don't necessarily disagree. They just have, like, different, like, you know, seeing the same, the exact same, saying the same thing with different words. Um, and, you know, he at no point, like, I mean, not, not at no point, I lie. He does undermine her a little bit. Um, but not with the intention of, like, harming her. Not necessarily with the intention of taking over. Um, which I found, again, very interesting. You know, he would basically make a better leader, having done this for, for longer, and, you know, having seen a lot more things than Drummer has. Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't try to take over by force. Um, Ultimately, he respects her. And this is even before the, the bottle episode where they're both, like, stuck in, in like, like the, bit, the the machine, etc. I, I, don't, I don't know what machine that was. Like a they're machine. In, they're in the, yeah, they're in the drum or something. It's like a yeah. harvester, like yeah. a, some sort of harvest machine or some something. Some sort of truck-looking thing, in any case. Um, yeah. Like, I I liked him by the end of the season. Um, I think that he's he's definitely a very good leader. Um, and, yeah, better than Drummer, I think. It, especially once the, like, behemoth is in the ring and, like, all of that. He, he knew what to do. Except, obviously, you know, towards the very yeah. end with the <laughs> laser stuff. That, not so much. Um... That was very much a human reaction of, you know, what was that that Christian line? A hammer thinks everything is a nail. Um, mm. <laughs> yeah, which is very much like the 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 view of like pretty much like any human, like oh, there's this thing we should shoot it because um, that <laughs> that solves everything. See, um, <laughs> that's the bit I had trouble with. So. So the last episode yeah. is something that these two characters feature very heavily in and mm-hmm. loved them both, but hated the last episode. I had to mm-hmm. watch it on fast forward. I hated it so much. Oh. I just did not like what was going on. I saw it coming, what was going on, not because I'm great at that, but because I think they, they signposted it so well. They wanted you to see this coming because it has that tragic element to it. So... So the the inevitable battle between them um, was it, it, it sort of needed to happen based on what they've done. But there's so much about it that just didn't make sense to me, and it, it's again that that same thing where because I'm thinking about it, I can't I can't enjoy it. So mm. he he fires the laser and he gets hung up on it, but I don't understand why. He throughout the entire series, uh, previous episodes has been the voice of reason. Mm-hmm. When the Martians come in and say, this is going to happen, he says, well, actually, you've not thought about it. And when the Earthers come in and say, well, this is going to happen, he say, well, hang on a minute, we're not going to... Why don't you think about this other thing? So when this character, who has been the negotiator, who has been the diplomat, who has been the one who uses the experience of age to sort through all the nonsense and figure out what's really going on, when he is then presented with the final decision, he's like, no, we're doing this. No, I'm not listening to any of you. No, you're all wrong. We're doing this. And I thought, what? Mm. When did you suffer that brain embolism that caused <laughs> you to suddenly lose all of the experience you had? Now, I could see someone getting carried away. I could see it reminding me of an old battle. I could see him becoming desperate. I could see it happening 
in my mind, but I don't believe they gave it to me on screen. Um, and then the other part of it that I really struggled with was the fact that it was a battle between the two of them. And it was, it was signposted it was going to happen. But again, I had to say, why? You've been through this, I think you described it as the bottle episode, uh, where they, they talk about it and they resolve the differences. So why did they fall out again? And again, I could believe it in my head that was presented with other bits of information. They could then have a, a different thought process and have an argument about it. And I could see it intellectually on paper. But you've just given me the episode where they, where they bond and they get together again. So what's the consequence of that? Where, you know, emotionally, tell me, what, what did we, why did we do that if we're not going to use it in the plot? Because I'm, I'm sitting there watching episode ten, thinking I don't want to see this. Mm. You've already you've already done this, and you've you've gotten me through their fights into their makeup. I, are you, you going to rob me of that by having one of them kill the other? Well, I don't want to see that. Fast forward, or are you just going to repeat what you've done when they fall out and they get back together again? Well, I don't want to see that either because that's boring. So again, fast forward, and it it did play out in one of those methods, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to see it, and I didn't understand how the characters had gotten there when I'd loved everything they'd done up until that point. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, again, it, because a lot of this, is, of course, is me. I'm already telling you how much I'm adding into this of myself, so I clearly know that it's a subjective thing, but it hit me so hard that it, it was that strong reaction to it, and I don't think it was one I would easily get past, even on a rewatch. I think I would have preferred it if it hadn't been sort of Ashford that was really wanting to sort of use the laser and deploy the nukes and do all that sort of stuff. And maybe it was like uh, Mars or the Earth had seized control of the ship at that point and yes. have the two sort of uniting to get mutinying against the mutiny that had already happened or doing. I think Absolutely. if they'd done it something like that, I, I yes, think I definitely. would have preferred it a bit because I think you're right. It kind of robs you of that oh, we, we can work together, actually. I know we don't see eye to eye, but we've actually got the same thing at heart at the end of the day. And it kind of steals that at the end. It and does. like you say, the kind of sense argument disappears at a point where it, they turn into, do you know what? Let's just put a nuke in the middle of this and then blow it up to see what happens because there's no way that could possibly go wrong. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, we've had a look and it turns out if you blow up a nuke, yeah, it'll be fine. And then, you know, the scientist will come up after the nuke and go, no, nah, we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> this time, let's use the laser. It's, <laughs> it's, you know, and you think, surely at this point you've got, I don't trust a word you're saying, mad scientist. Oh. Go back to your corner. You know, it's like, I'll listen to the guy that's talking to himself in the corner of the room before I trust you again. <laughs> and that would have even given you as well the the belters being, uh, finding their feet, getting their place, proving their worth. Because if you'd have had exactly as you said it, Earth and Mars get together and said, well, we know what we're doing. We're the important people here. We're making a plan. And they could have kicked Ashford out of the control centre Mm-hmm. At which point he could then go down and find Drummer and say, we're the belt, we've made peace with each other, do you trust me? And they mm-hmm. both have to have that point where they're going to go out. Maybe they don't agree on the plan so much, so they have to find that moment of trust on, mm. you know, Ashford says do this, Drummer says do that, and they both agree to this compromise. So they have to use the trust they've built up in the bottle episode. But by doing that, they then fight off the madness of Earth and Mars and the belt saves the day. I think 
I would I want to see the thing that you've set up there because not only does it use the plot, it, it also seems to be perfectly fitting with the background as established, and it would have been much more satisfying, I think. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I mean, I haven't really rewatched the finale since, you know, the one time I saw it. Um, and yeah, I d- it definitely, you know, f- felt at odds with the rest of it in some respects. Like it, th- there was a rushed kind of sense to it, which the rest of the season doesn't have. So, yeah. I do think it's that sort of fitting uh, a couple of conclusions all into the one episode. And it was, the finale was two episodes that were joined together as well. So it's even got that sort of thing. The pace just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And then by the end, you're like, oh, was that it? I was hoping for a, you know, maybe a bit of room to breathe. But I think overall, they've done quite a good job of the pacing, considering how much we've we've covered in the time that we've been on already. And they've they've had to try and fit all these storylines that we've condensed into an entire season. Is just, um, like I said at the beginning, just incredible. Um Speaking of which, um, we have not really covered uh, Miller and Holden and uh, the whole sort of proto-molecule plan. You know, we've mentioned the ring gate and everything so far, but we've not really mentioned too much about that. Mm. How have you found that story, Kat? Okay, so like, real talk, um, after Miller goes out the way he does on Venus... I kept saying for ages, I was like, all I want is for Miller to come back. <laughs> and I don't, I don't care how I want, I want something. I don't feel like his story is over. So then suddenly when Holden starts, like literally like watching the opening, the, the, the opening um, and Tom Jane's name comes up in the credits and I'm like, Miller is back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I was so happy. I was like, they, they're giving me everything I want. Like I have nothing else to ask from this show. I just wanted Miller back. Um, and it's a very, it's a very interesting the spin that they're taking with it, like the proto molecule needs to investigate and Miller is an investigator and he was there with the seed crystal. So he is, is part of it now. And so it's using his like sort of investigative skills in order to figure out what the hell happened to the race that made it. Um, and that is such, such an interesting twist. I didn't see that coming whatsoever. <laughs> if you had asked me, where do you think the story is going, Kat? I would not have said this. <laughs> um, so it's definitely, you know, like a fun, a, f- a fun sort of story. Seeing Holden, that, that was so interesting how Holden like doesn't, like obviously he he disbelieves that any of this could be true but it takes him about two seconds to kind of go okay i guess this is real fine and then just kind of like rolls with it (laughs) (laughs) which i really liked i again i would not have pegged holden for someone who would roll with things like this um and so that was very interesting to me um and I really like how there is a certain sense of trust from both parts, which is is very telling. And I don't obviously I have no idea where the story is going now that 
we have the stars. Um, you know, to go back to something that real Miller had said, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the stars are better off without us. Um, and yet here we are <laughs> with a bunch of stargates going out into the universe. Great. Good luck, universe. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> here, here we come. <laughs> yeah. Like, oops. <laughs> we've got our passports and we're ready to travel. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I am very happy that Miller is back in some capacity. It's, not exactly Miller, but yet it sort of is. Um, and so it, I'll be interested to see if this goes any further, you know, like seeing anything else from him in terms of, you know, what happened after the crash on Venus. Um, you know, what has happened to him? Because he was like clammed up about Julie. He was like, I don't want to talk about Julie. So like, I, I want to talk about Julie. I want to <laughs> like, I want to know everything, please. Um, so yeah, it's, I like it. I had no idea when, when he first showed up, like where any of that was going, but I am, it's one of my favorite sort of like turns from the show, if that makes sense. I like the, the way they sort of explain it and they do give you answers to sort of what the protomolecule is and what it was there to do. Hmm. Um, in this it doesn't leave it all as like a big gap of going well you'll find out in eight seasons time when we throw in one line it's like it's there it's there to find a way to connect back home and to do that it uses anything it can find around if you're if it lands on a planet it will slowly break apart find all the elements it needs and starts building something if you put it on an asteroid it will start spreading out picking up all the bits of technology it needs and it will start doing something if it needs an investigator, it'll look in its memory banks and go, oh, we absorbed an investigator a while ago. He'd be pretty good. You know, and I loved his explanation of sort of, I'm a man that finds things and you're a guy that goes places. So, you know, you're going to take me kind of thing. You've got a ship. You can take me wherever I need to go. It's, it, I, I just like the way it's, it's sort of semi-explained. The only bit, and I've got to give it, to the expanse because it's so sci-fi accurate it's so grounded in science 90 percent of the time you know mag boots and gravity and inertia and the the way they've managed to build the universe to be in a, in a sort of accurate way where you're like of course that's kind of how it would happen you know it's it's probably as close a look as we're going to get you know, to, in comparison to sort of utopia that you see in other TV shows where it's all right, we've solved everything. Mm. Just imagine that everything is tidy, everyone is happy, uh, everyone works for no money, money isn't a thing anymore, we don't battle each other, everyone's just happy and high-fiving each other, it's fine. You know, this is probably about as close as we've got to that. However, in amongst that, they throw something like the protomolecule that just goes against the grain. It's like, this is science that we just don't understand. Mm. You know, it's as far as we are concerned at this point, it's magic. We don't know what it does. But I I give them that on the basis that it is simply science we don't understand yet. And that there are people that are slowly figuring it out through the season, I think, you know, like, oh, if we manipulate it this way, it can do a bit of this, or if we do that way, it can do a bit of that. Granted, there's some grotesque experiments that are going on, and it's mainly being used for war, but, you know, it, it's that one bit 
in the back of my head that niggles sometimes when you're going, when it's so realistic that they put in something so um, incendiary into it that it's just a little bit against that. I think it's how they handle it that is where this becomes a thing. And before I'd say anything else, I do feel like I should preface this by saying I do like The Expanse. It is one of, oh, it is no. one of my favourite shows. Oh, you're going you're gonna to go more hard against this oh, than I no. did, aren't you? <laughs> but this is the third of the three things that I, did, I didn't like. So, there's, oh. um, so I, I've, and I, can't, I can't forgive it for this. And it's, it's based on what you've just said. Mm. You're open with, as we said, first scene, hard science. Ever all the way through, pay attention, details, have a look. And then we come to the mystery that is science we don't understand. Now, other film and TV series do this in a different way, and it makes sense. So you've seen, um, I've already forgotten the name of the 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 film that came out recently where um, the two things come down from orbit, and the entire film is pretty much them going into the objects to try and work it out. And there's two aliens that talk to them. And oh, like Arrival. Squid beast. Arrival. That's how you do advanced science that you don't understand, by making it mystery and by having intelligent people saying, is it this? No, it isn't. Okay, try the next thing. Is it this? And they try and work through it, and they just aren't getting the answers, you know, especially when they're trying to figure out the language. And they just try lots of different things, and they present theories to you, and they use science at every point. It doesn't matter if it succeeds or not, because it's just showing you that it's difficult. So you can present this thing as a puzzle has an answer, sorry, the human race just isn't clever enough yet. Or you can do what The Expanse did and create false mystery, mythology and magic out of it. And I think it's it, it's such a bad idea to fall back on that when you don't need to. You've got a madman sitting in the corner saying, what does it mean the man with the fish and chips is going down the alleyway? That, there is no way on this planet that Miller has tried to use the analogies that he's just used. You've done that because you want to get some quirky humor into it. You know, there's, when he, he starts talking about Lorentzian circles and says, you wouldn't understand this, so I need to start talking about fish and chips, that's so insulting. Any good scientist can find a way of converting their theories into something that actually makes sense without trying to use these crazy analogies. I mean... You can't even say that, well, Miller wouldn't know about it. Well, Miller wouldn't know about Lorentzian circles either. So he clearly can access that data if he needs to, because you've given me that on screen in the plot. So I think they start to use magic. They start to use things that are not in any way connected to a scientist trying to understand things. And they've clearly got some writers on board because they did it with, you know, the guy you're talking about with a nuke. Let's try and find the nuke, see what that does. They get some guy to throw in some science there. They must have had a staff right to talk to some sort of scientist and say, look, just talk to me about quantum mechanics. I'll use some of it. You know, we'll get it in there. But then with, with, with Miller and Holden, they just go purely into myth and, and magic. And I think the entire thing is summarized by the awful scene where Miller is standing over Holden saying, put your hand in that, mate. Go on. You, want, you know you want to. Put your hand in the device to activate it. And I'm sitting there going, why? I understand everything you've done so far because it all makes sense. You know all the stuff you've just talked about with they need a way of talking 
Oh, sorry, they need a way of doing investigation, so it finds an investigator. They need a way of manipulating matter, so it finds itself on Venus, and it uses all the energy there. All of that makes so much sense. But then, for all of a sudden, the destruction of your universe requires one of... Your, your solar system requires one of the members of that solar system to agree to it by putting his hand in the device like some stupid big data protection checkbox. Please read this. Do you agree for your solar system to be entirely <laughs> annihilated at this moment because you've done it. something bad? I didn't see it as that. Did, did they at any point say that that's what that was? Well, this is why they're afraid of it. This is the, 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 they're interpreting it as, as um, the, the thing has found us to be hostile. It knows we're nuclear capable. Therefore, it must remove that threat. And then they're doing the analysis of the of the device from the outside, and the scientist is saying, "See the energy that's building up in here. This energy has the ability to do this really nice thing." I can't remember if he mentions bridges at that point. If he just says, "It's got the energy to provide this, that, and the other good thing," or it's got the energy to 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 destroy everything. So between yeah, Holden and the scientist, thing. destroy the scientist. So between Holden saying. It's afraid of us. And the scientists saying this is building up to a massive explosion. I have to believe that they want you to know that it's, it is going to wipe out the galaxy. It's going to wipe out the solar system that from that's the two not, angles. They give it to that's us. Not, that's not what I saw. That's not at all like how I interpreted that. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if that's me just being dim. Um, the way that I saw that was I need to tell you something the only way to tell you is for you to agree to be told this. I can't, you know, is it is it convoluted and roundabout, the fact that, like, Miller never says, this is the only way for me to transmit this information to you. Please put your hand in this device. Um, he could have just said that, but instead he didn't. Uh, but to me, that was just a, um, you know, like, please, like, I'm trying, I've been trying to reach out this whole time. Like, will you be on my side and, like, listen to me, please? Um, I need to ask you this question, and in order to ask you this question, I need to tell you where I'm coming from. Um, so that, that, that's that's what I how I saw the whole, like, hand in the machine thing. Do you know, um, I probably actually want to change my thinking now, because what you've said there makes a lot of sense. Hmm. However, I still want to hate it. Can <laughs> I tell you why? Oh, Okay. Um, so you're probably right. I think I've totally misread that. That would be stupid that he would have to get permission to destroy his universe. But I still want to say that the whole thing is using myth and legend in a way that is not necessary. So what you've said there about it being a convoluted plot, why didn't he just say so? Because he could. Mm. I think you have to extend that round to why does he have to put his hand in a machine? This protomolecule has been given the power to rewrite human code completely yeah. to reassemble venus as it wants mm -hmm. to why have they written in something to this protomolecule that says you must agree to be shown mm -hmm. i don't understand why this thing fair. that's got so much power can't a just fair say question yeah Here's absolutely a fair question yes it's one of those like when it was happening i was like i'm not sure why like oh please like 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 what was it uh, uh complete the circuit and i'm like why? <laughs> yeah, just take Excuse his body and why? show it to yeah, him. Yeah, just, I don't get it. Um, but th that's one of the things that I've been like, you know, I'd like to rewatch and like, you know, sort of maybe I'll understand if I 
if, like, I don't know, and maybe maybe Chris can shed some light on this, perhaps from a book perspective, if, if I can't, you feel I can't, like I can't, you have I can't, a question, a bit. Mm, mm. I can a little bit, but at the same time, I don't want to get into anything that's going to spoil enjoyment for other people. Okay. I, I, think, yeah. I think the thing is, it's like taking it from what the TV show has has given us. It's you've got the proto molecules arrived. It's built the gate, and it's searching for something. It can't communicate. And the only bit I can think is these these gates are meant to be built. You know that's what it went down and did. It went and it built the gate. It was going to convert um, the asteroid uh, base into a gate. Instead, it crashed into Venus and it ended up building it there instead. I think I think a, a gate being built was inevitable, but does it need to know that there's something worthwhile on the other side of the gate for it to open? And is that why there's like a dead man switch? It's like if no one goes and makes any contact with it, there's nothing there. There's no point in opening the gate. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. It's like that's my like potential reading of the whole thing. I mean, Miller. Miller is just searching to find out what's happened, and we kind of get a bit of an answer through the vision that Holden gets at the end when he's uh, floating naked in space. It's like you get the the society, whatever built those gates, isn't around. Something something bad's happened, and we don't know what. And they've just opened all the gates to all these potential possibilities. And behind any one of those doors could be whatever um, destroyed the people that built the gates in the first place. See that mm-hmm. bit where they do show you him standing there, as you say, he's standing naked on some horizon. That's a level of mystery to me that fits with science. There's, there's something that causes you to see this in this light, but there's no words mm-hmm. needed. They don't have to put any nonsense rubbish about Miller trying to interpret it in terms of his investigations of criminals in a space station. It's just the proto molecule can get inside your brain, it can flick a switch, and it can make you see this. But it can't explain it, it can't give you it in words. You then have to go and interpret that vision. To me, that fits with science, and it creates the mystery that you're looking for without having to rely on this garbled spell casting almost that it seems like Holden is giving you in and I know it's I know it's supposed to be slightly funny, but as has been proven in many previous podcasts, I am totally against all fun, so <laughs> not interested <laughs> in I mean I know I know, I know you're so. against I, I know you're against all sort of fun, but I did like sort of the Holden line sort of so why are you wearing the hat? And I'm replying with stop the rain. Yeah. <laughs> 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 stop it getting wet in the rain. I liked you know, I found just, that so interesting because he never had the hat when Holden knew him. Yeah, it's just why the hat. Why so the, yeah. yeah, so that that proves that that it's Miller in there somewhere because otherwise he wouldn't have the hat. It was he never had the hat when he died. Yeah, it's just it's. I, I find it interesting. It's like it needed an investigator. It chose him. It chose Holden because he knew. You know, it went to the investigator. It went, do you know someone that can get around? Yeah, I know someone that can get around. Who is he? And then it's managed to mm-hmm. get in touch with Holden somehow. It's like, you know, he's, he's managed to find a way to get about all over the place. And it's just, yeah, the way that, the way they've left it there, there's just, yeah, endless possibilities for anything that they wanted to do. You know, it's just, and the mm. ramifications for that wider system, uh, you know, the solar system and what it means when suddenly... 
oh, there's not just the planets that are available here now or the asteroids that are available here now. There's all these endless possibilities through those doors. And what it means is just um, amazing. Now, I realise that we've sort of got all the way up to the conclusion point here, but there's a ton of characters that we have not really touched on and a couple of plots that we've sort of missed out along the way. So we didn't really cover Christian and uh, Bobby's escape from the ship. Uh, oh, yeah. We didn't, we didn't really covered that much uh, mm-hmm. after the double cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, Draper, okay. Draper, for me, has been interesting in this, where yes. after, after the events on Earth and after sort of becoming a you know traitor essentially to the martians it's like what what she left she served her, her i was going to say her country her planet her entire mm-hmm. life and then suddenly she's branded a traitor sent out and she's taken in by christian and she ends up on the ship and then suddenly she's having to protect a sort of earth diplomat an earth spy essentially uh, through the whole thing. And I just found that twist really interesting. Obviously, she sort of redeems herself, you know, when you're reunited with her a bit further down the line. By mm. that point, she's a hero. She's been promoted. She's been given her own unit. But at that point, she's at, like, a really low ebb, you know, but delighted to suddenly get, oh, I get to put my armour on and beat people up. Excellent. That'll get all my frustration out. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I really liked sort of seeing Bobby again. I thought that after, you know, because the way that her story wraps up um, on Io is perfect. It's a full circle. We see her pretty much like exactly where she started, like on her back, her, her suit mm-hmm. broken, her helmet cracked, a protomolecule hybrid staring at her through her helmet. Um, but she manages to beat it and it's a full circle, like perfect narrative. She, she gets her revenge. She, you know, gets closure in that moment. Um, you know, finds out who the real bad guy is, so to speak. Um, after all of that, like sort of nonsense with the, like hearing on earth and like the, the Martians trying to cover it up and like the, the earth people, like not listening to her and like all of that, um, a really like satisfying ending to that narrative. So then I was like, oh man, I guess we won't see her again because like that's her story over. Um, so seeing her again was great, um, and it was interesting that you know, in the same way that just kind of like Holden ends up being the guy who's like shrugging his way through like the entire plot. Mm-hmm. Um, she ends up being like right there when you know, they are basically aiming to kill him. Uh, and she's there, like, being the voice of reason. Like, hey, I know this guy, and I, I know those people on that ship, and they're my friends because they are nice. They're good people. They're on the side they're of, of, you know, righteousness, so to speak. So, you know, let's not shoot them, maybe. Um, I feel like if it was anybody other than Bobby, um, it would have been a very different story. <laughs> um, so it's 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 a nice sort of like way to bring everybody together. I'm glad that you know she keeps she she holds on to that like element of knowing who's right, of not just blindly being loyal to her country slash planet. Um, just purely because she's back on their good graces now. Um, you know, when she realizes that, you know, like they're being 
um, have the word the Greek word stuck in my head right now that the um oh that they're they're not being logical like they're being the the opposite of logical what's the opposite of logical help me illogical it, oh thank you yes that um and the fact that like she is willing to say okay I've done this before I've been here before I know what I have to do and what I have to do is disobey orders um and obviously you know she doesn't have to go through the whole like existential crisis of what it means to not be a soldier anymore because she's already been through that um it's interesting that once again she finds herself in this position having to consider okay like my superiors and my unit are being illogical and i know what's right in this situation and the only way to do what's right is to <laughs> hit my own unit people in the face render them unconscious and like defect um i love her um i love that she sticks to her guns she's a very powerful strong person um who sticks to her values above all else and i'm just glad because like at this point like the martians are just so for the for lack of a better word like so american you know what i mean like they are the young country who is trying to prove themselves in a military fashion everything is about order and um you know like listening to orders and uh, you know following a hierarchy and listening to what the people above you are saying and not questioning it and just like military order above all else um which to be quite honest narratively speaking and generally in the world is a bit of a tired notion at this point um and i'm just glad that like we get this one character who's like willing to look beyond that um and see what a needs to be done b who is the person or the side that speaks the most truth and just follow that um more people should do this in that universe i think because <laughs> there's a lot of blind loyalty flying around that you know is just the mother of all conflicts um yeah i love bobby i love her relationship with christian um i love you know that she goes from <laughs> what was it what was that, that that line that says you know like you're half my size and i can't make you do what i want <laughs> <laughs> i don't solve my i don't solve problems with words <laughs> um i love her i love her so much i mean it's it's i didn't see the bit and now that you've said it is actually very clear that when you said it had gone full circle you know there she is lying on the back with a protomolecule mm. specimen sort of looking over the top of her i didn't yeah I didn't click that, and now when you say it, it seems so. It's all obvious. Yeah, so it's very much a season apart, um, and I don't know if it's because I was kind of like rewatch binging at some point, but yeah, like that image, it's it's exactly the same. It's her yeah. like lying on her back. Her her helmet is cracked. Um, you know, you can see the reflection of the hybrid in her helmet. Just like everything is exactly the same, and it's such a satisfying moment. Like I just I can't deal. It's it's great. <laughs> And uh, what about you, Aaron? Uh, I think the only character we, we haven't talked about from that I really would I want to mention would be Christian. Um, mm. She's 
managed to become part of all the plots as well, which <laughs> we thought, how is that even going to be possible? <laughs> you know, but they, they did manage to reliably get a politician into all of the setup, including when it turns to a bit more of an action uh, setup at the end, you know, where they're all running away and you, you th- thinking, what, we're, we've not got to the point where we need to do any more talking, but she does. Of course, she's got to try and persuade the crew of the ship to turn around and do what she wants. Mm. And it, it's a trick, I think, to make a character relevant in all circumstances and also make them still a good character. But they've done so much with her and she never struggles at any point, she's always got a, a, a relevance in her own mind as well. I need to do this. I need to do that. I can do this. I need, need to maneuver these people. And human with it, I think she's been interesting right from the start where she's been the, uh, you know, the, 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 the sort of a head of a family and she's having to maneuver her people to her, her husband and, and so on to safety so she can do the job she needs. She, She's suffered that the, the family issue. She's been an investigator. She's gone down on the planet to find Holden's parents. She's been at the forefront of the diplomacy. She's had her action secret. I mean, she's just been everything. So, uh, so she's yeah, one of the. She's certainly one of the best characters there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love her, and I love that she curses all the time. <laughs> I love like there's a little compilation on YouTube of Christian cursing for like seven minutes straight or something like that. It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that she is so honest that she 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 doesn't take the time to coat her words in anything because there's no value in that. Um, I I love her approach to to leadership. You know, she's very much a, a, a do what needs to be done in an honest way. Um, you know, yes, is there that questionable scene in season one where she lets a belter hang from hooks? Um, yes. And that's also a very interesting aspect of her. I was hoping to see more of, like a little ruthlessness. I don't, I don't think that we got to see a lot of that. And I, and that's a, that's a show addition as well, because it's not in the book, I don't think. Um, but yeah, like just I I I'm glad that she is left at the top of the world. <laughs> if anyone should be leading Earth, it should be Christian Avasarala. I mean, it's the thing that she doesn't take anything at face value. She will investigate herself. Mm. You know, she's unsure about holding. She'll go direct to the source and speak to the parents. You know, she's yeah. not going to take anyone's report. She's just going to go and find out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I do. I do sort of like that. I think she's such a powerful character and the way that she's woven through the plot, I think is just fantastically done. Um, and she's just as woven in, in the books as she is in the TV show. So it's, it's yeah, it's a really interesting character to see character wise. There's two members of the crew. We've not really talked uh, much about uh, We've not really mentioned Alex a lot and he's one of my favorite characters in the book. Strangely, I sort of like the way he's covered and you get to know him quite well through some of the books. And I like Cass Anvar's uh, sort of portrayal of him on screen where he's talking away to the ship. I don't think it was this season. I think it was the season before where he's sort of sitting out in the black with everything switched off, floating yeah. about, just having a whale of a time on the ship. And that, <laughs> you know, that sort of won me over. And then this season, 
the bit that I really liked was when he was doing the little video messages to the family. You know, he was like, Captain, I'm just going to switch on the transmitter for a bit, do a test, see if anyone spotted us, and then I'll switch it back off again. And he's using that time to just send little messages to the family going, you know, explaining why he left, why he ran away. You're getting those little insights. I find I found it very interesting how um, he has come to terms with the fact that he belongs here, that this is what he wants to be doing, that, you know... He didn't tell his family he was safe. I mean, not that any of them had time, to be honest, um, but definitely that he felt useful, that he felt worthwhile, that, you know, that this is what he is meant to be doing. What an interesting, I mean, you know, slightly insensitive, but interesting thing to say you know no wonder his wife is like i beg your pardon (laughs) well we don't need you also i'm filing for divorce like (laughs) fair absolutely fair um but it's really nice that you know he hasn't lost his son that his son is still you know proud to be his son that he understands that you know he sees this as you know what it is which is his dad is happy and he feels useful um, and really, like, what a shift for a guy who went from, like, a glorified bus driver to being, like, actually super competent, um, warship pilot. Mm. And a little bit of glue in there between the relationships with people as well, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, to trying to make people, get people to sit around and have dinner and chat to each yeah. other, you know. So it works a little bit. I think every family's got that person that'll mediate i don't know if mediate's the right word but sort of try attempt to get people back around the table and, and talking he seems to do that rather well and like you say the sort of kick-ass nature of him's coming this year as well especially because he was out from behind the seat for a good portion as well mm-hmm. you know it was parked up and then he was on um, medina so he's he's you know he's not where he normally is you know he's normally stuck on that one set the poor guy so exactly. it, was, it was nice to see him roaming about for a change for a little bit and also someone that gets off the ship uh, in this season is uh, Naomi. She becomes the, mm-hmm. the chief engineer, the boss on uh, the BMOF as it's getting refitted, uh, taking out all the church windows and putting in just some ridiculously large guns. <laughs> um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a refitting. It's a bit of a change of uh, of use. I do like the the fact that it's like, yeah, we're trying to turn this into a warship. It wasn't meant to be, you know. The first time they go to fire guns, like open fire, and just the whole circuit breaker just goes, <laughs> nope, enough, Phew, that's it. You know, you've rated the fuses wrong for this, my friends. It's like you're firing nothing today. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, Naomi's uh, journey in this season is very interesting. Um, the fact that she, on the one hand, you know, is very aware that perhaps what she did was not right especially because she didn't consult anybody and just sort of like did it um but also she kind of owns it you know she doesn't she doesn't grovel when it comes time to you know perhaps leave go be with belters um you know an interesting twist that she says you know i left because because of the nostalgia but i you know realized that i don't I didn't remember all the bad stuff, and here it is. And actually, I want to go back to my crew things, mm. um, <laughs> which I found found that very 
Very interesting. Um, a, a, a side note, a hilarious side note. Um, the actress who plays Naomi um, came into where I work oh. <laughs> in in London, and I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I don't get starstruck because you know I've interviewed my fair share of famous people. I like to think that I'm you know okay with that. But I just, I couldn't keep my cool. Um, and I was like, oh, my God, Naomi. And she was like, what? What? Did, what? And she was like, you're looking at me like I did something. And I'm like, well, <laughs> you could say. You did. You did. <laughs> you did a lot of things, actually. Um, yeah. And we had like a bit of a chat about season three and stuff. And she was just like really super sweet. Um, and, and just, yeah, like really nice. And yeah, like one of one of the very few instances where I just like completely lost my cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, but all worth it because she's amazing. Um, but yeah, yeah, she did. She did do something. She did, you know, like she messed up in a big t- in a big way. Um, but I feel like the way that she kind of like a owned it b regretted it c sort of like came around to realize that yeah okay like actually where i belong is with my family on the rossi like you are my family um was once again like a very satisfying character journey i feel like we needed to see her on her own a little bit um that that change that environment change definitely um informed us more about her um it was very interesting to see like belter naomi because really like the entire time in seasons one and two like because she's with like the two earthers and the martian like it's not like sort of made clear like exactly how like she has come to where she is Mm. and that was you know like I feel like it was necessary seeing her in sort of like her natural habitat, you know, cause she is a proud belter um, and seeing her around other proud belters, um, I feel was very important. Yeah. I think seeing her sort of interact with her people. And I think you're right when you say that she sort of went through those three stages of I was right. And then she goes, okay, maybe I should have spoken to them. It's like, okay, maybe I could have done things better. And that thing of, I remember all the good times that I had when I was with my people and then I remembered all the horrible people that I had to work with as well and all the you know the, the stuff that I disagree with the things that I didn't want to do the reasons that I left. I mean everyone was on that long distance sort of ice hauler for a reason. You know, they were all lurking out in the middle of nowhere. So all mm. the characters that we see on the Rossi were all people that were getting away from something. You know, they were doing these ice runs at the back end of the solar system that take months and months and months on end. You don't do that if you want to be with your people or at home. You know, you do it so you can get away from everything. So it's it's really interesting when you see them all combined like that and the backstories of the characters as well. I love how the TV show's just slowly fleshing them out. You know, there's so much source material out there, you know, and amongst, you know, you've got, the main expanse books but they've also written a series of little sort of short stories and short novels about Mm -hmm. different characters and different backstories so there's so much material out there that they can use and i just think they've been doing it really really well um 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've, I've really liked Naomi and I'm now very jealous that you, you got to meet her. So that's, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm unhappy now. <laughs> well, maybe uh, next year, because um, I went to London Comic Con and um, Amos was there. Ah, uh, right, okay. Wes Chatham and I went to chat to him a little bit and he originally Stephen Strait who plays Holden was meant to come as well but he had to cancel and um, Wes was saying how you know like seeing such a like warm reaction from UK audiences he was like I'm going to get the whole cast to come <laughs> I was like yes please yes please 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 yeah because yeah. yeah, it would be great it would be great to like chat to everyone um, you know like Cass Anvar like I would love to talk to him he seems like a hoot <laughs> I mean they all um, interact really well with their fans which I think is mm-hmm. why it got such a groundswell when they said you know okay there might not be a season 4 this might be it mm-hmm. You know, I think they got such a groundswell from fans because they all they all seem to get on very, very well with the audience. They all seem great mm-hmm. from the interviews that I've seen. I know that's the idea of interviews at the end of the day. If someone comes off I as mean, a, bit sure, of a, yeah. a bit of a horrible person in an interview, it's more what they're like off screen. But like you say, if you bump into them and they're nice that way, then that's, yeah, I'd, I'd love for them to come over to, to something in the UK. I mean, they can do London because they can travel or, you know, Edinburgh would be awfully convenient. Edinburgh I'm just saying. would be amazing. Uh, you yeah. know, <laughs> You know, we've got we've got contacts. Feel free to get in touch with us, and we'll you know we'll put you in touch with the Comic Con people. We we know we know we have friends in high places on this podcast. Uh, so it's absolutely fine. I suppose at this point we should talk about what we are looking forward to in the future in uh, season four, since it has been renewed. Um, so, Aaron, what are you looking forward to in season four? Aaron. Uh, Honestly, not sure because I don't see how they can keep the the characters as they are. They've just opened up infinite universes. How does this remain the same show that it is? I I kind of want to see more Belters, and because they're my favourite characters. But surely we're going far from the belt, and I kind of want to see more of these characters. But I I don't know where the plot goes from here. Do they send? To, does the crew decide to take a mission to go out into? One of the gates. I don't. I want. I want to see. I, I think I want to see more of the characters I've already got. I don't think I want to see a time jump, and I don't think I want to see a a complete character shift into something different. But I don't understand how either of those can be possible. I think they're going to have to see one, if not both. So I'm. I don't know. I'm a bit. Um, I'm a bit lost of it, actually. You you know what's coming if you've read the book. I, I do a little bit for the books. I think I'd be I'd be a betrayed with a large time jump in the TV show. I think even the little minor time jump they did in the middle of this season kind of did me a little bit. But I was like, I want to see what the direct impact was after this. But I understand for you know telly purposes why they did the little jump. But I wouldn't want to see them sort of turn around and go and. 30 years later, you know, you, I, I, I want to see what happens to the characters immediately after this, really. I don't know. What, what yeah. about you, Cap? Yeah, uh, similarly, I think the time skip really, really grated on me at first. Um, I spent that whole, like, first episode just kind of, you know, like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, generally speaking, I don't tend to like time skips very much. I don't like, I definitely don't like when there's an entire shift of characters, you know, oh, forget the old guys, you know, here's this new group. And it's like, I have no idea who those people are. 
I don't care. <laughs> Bring me back the to, to the people that I know and am invested in. Uh, any TV show that has tried to bring in new people, perhaps slowly, and then like phasing out the old cast, has experienced a drop in ratings and then subsequently cancellation. So oh, you we're know, definitely not wanting that. Then we've we've yeah. already been through that turmoil. We don't exactly. want that again. <laughs> <We've> <laughs> definitely. Got, one not. one cancellation hell is absolutely enough. Um, so definitely, like I'd like to see sort of linearly, like exactly, you know, pick up where we dropped off. Um, you know, what happens now with the gates, you know, what, what does this mean for humanity? Of, of course, there's going to be like people trying to take advantage, people trying to, um, you know, like commercialize, what does this mean for the belt? What does this mean for Earth, perhaps, you know, because they have the overpopulation, you know, does this mean that more people are going to take off to space and like colonize other solar systems. Like that's a very interesting, like, you know, but at the same time, you know, the stars were better off without us, you know, that it's, <laughs> it's definitely human greed will, will ruin things in some way. And I can't wait to see how, <laughs> um, I think, I think that's, yeah, that's my takeaway. Well, at this point, I've got to say thank you very much to both of you for, for joining me for this. It's been nice to chat about The Expanse. Finally, I've got people to talk Same. to about this show with. It's so nice. It's so nice. So at this point, I've got to say thank you very much, Kat. You may, you may go through any ring gate of your choosing. <laughs> thank you. I'm going to take this one and go back to London. Oh, very nice. That one goes to London. And Aaron, uh, the, the ring gates are yours. What one do you want to go through? Oh yeah, Ding. I will go back in time to see more of the Belters. That must be possible. Ringgates must do time travel as well, surely. Sure, why, why not? Why not? Free, free you go. And I, meanwhile, I'm just going to float here naked in space as I've been doing the whole time. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening to uh, Neil Before Pod. If you want to find out more, check out our website. If you've got any comments, please leave them down below and we will catch you next time. Thank you very much.